0: Yeah, they said my dream was dead end They said people like me don't tread Said my slang won't ever get there They
1: said
2: my neck
1: was too red Neck too red
3: Boy next to
4: red
3: My next
5: to red You
6: Who doesn't love up church. I mean, you know, if I was younger, I'd be all over that. Uh, <laughs> he's he spits truth. He doesn't care, and that's it. Today we're going to cover a lot of things. Obviously, um, oh wow, there's so much to talk about, and I'm kind of like yesterday. I didn't do a show, so archivist, keep in mind I'm going to do this uh, maybe extended because uh, we've got a lot to talk about. But before we start with anything. I want to talk about food. I think it's important that we talk about food. And um, it's about a cooking lesson that I would like all of you to pay attention to. It's actually quite fascinating. So let's get get to it.
3: So we're just going to go ahead and breast these crows out here. If you don't know how to do that, we've got a video that we put together about cleaning doves. You can watch that and it'll help you out.
7: All right, everybody. We got our, uh, got our boobies here in our hand. All right, guys, we got our crows all cleaned up. We just breasted them out. We're just giving them a taste today. We've never eaten crow before, so we figured it'd be kind of fun and it'd be, uh, nice to not waste any crows we go hunting for. So we got four crow breasts here, and then we've got some various cooking implements down here. We weren't really sure how to prepare crow. So if you know of any recipes for crow, we would greatly appreciate hearing them. And, uh, It give us an excuse to go back out and get some more crows. So what we got here is a couple step process. What we're going to do is egg wash them, then run them through a little bit of flour with some seasonings and stuff in them. And then we're going to wash them again in the egg. We're actually going to add some Andy's breading. We figure the more layers between the crow and our taste buds, maybe we'll like them that much more. We're going to get started here. We're going to prep all this up. And we got the oil heating up on the fire right now and uh, getting ready to eat some crow. A lot of people heard that we were coming out to eat and hunt and eat some crow today and they all just lost their mind of you know oh you're not supposed to eat crow you're not supposed to eat crow well why not it's a bird it's just like any other bird i would assume i mean i just got back from aruba from my honeymoon and they eat iguana there i'm gonna give it a try i think it's gonna be good all
8: well, right
7: we might know shortly why uh, a lot of people say <laughs> not people to don't eat, eat crow. <laughs> Alright, we got a little chili powder for some spice, because I figure the spicier the better when you're not sure what you're going to eat, right? And then nothing's really complete without a little bit of garlic powder. You know, it almost looks like we set up a stage, a hillbilly stage back here to film crow eating. We were like, what, what can we get to make this look perfect hillbilly crow eating? Yeah. We need a broken down camper. Yep. Check. Check. We need a, a boat that probably hasn't seen the water in a couple of years sitting next to a broken down truck. We're just gonna drop these in the Andes. That's why I love Andes, man. We don't even have to egg wash this stuff. Typically, like when you're doing fish, you just open them up. They're still a little wet from the the water and the cleaning. But in this case, like we said, as many layers between us and our taste buds, uh, the crow and the taste buds as we can get might help. And we might find out that this is our fav- new favorite thing to eat. Who knows, man? But it's shake and fry crow and I helped, right? That's how the commercial went. All right. This looks good. So we have our prepared crow cutlets. Mm. We got our oil all ready to go on the fire. Let's go over and cook some crow. Sounds good. First piece. Oh yeah, sizzling up good. That's what you want. You want to make sure you have high temperature on your pan and your oil. You want those things to cook up right away. You don't want them sitting around getting soggy and all that oil. It'd be kind of funny if this ends up being pretty good. Dude, I think it's going to taste really good, to be honest with you. There's something to be said for getting ready to make a lunch out of something that an hour ago was flying and now it's in the pan frying. It's kind of a cool feeling, so hopefully it tastes good. Hopefully I'll mess them up. So this is kind of like the hunter's version of a shore lunch then, huh? Yeah, there you go. Get some get some crow, go up the shore, make the fire. <laughs> before I burn them all to nothing. Doesn't look too bad. We're going to pull them out of here and at least check them and see if they're ready to eat yet. I mean, it's looking pretty done in there. It's pretty brown all the way through. Ooh, it's real hot in there. i it's good. I'd say they're done, man. I think it's time to eat some crow. What do you think? Sweet. All right. Looking forward to it. All right, so how you want to go about this? to just split this guy and see what we're working with here? I think we should start off by you eating it. And <laughs> I'll wait 30 minutes. <laughs> how the cave did it, right? Yeah, See what, think so. What berries were good to eat. Mm-hmm.
5: It's
7: a little tough, so, but that's probably just because I overcooked it. It's kind of hard to cut on the unstable chicken coop, too. It's really good. Is it? Yeah. Okay, okay let's try this. I mean, you can taste, I mean, obviously, it's mostly like breading and stuff, but you can taste the meat in it tastes a lot like, like a goose or duck. It's a little Spring. springy. Yeah, but I also think that's because I overcooked it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to take any chances with it, but I, I could see if you cooked that a little less, how it would be more tender. Mm-hmm. It would be better to eat, but it's not gross by any any stretch of the imagination. No, I would say it's uh fairly close to duck. Not as greasy though, which Mm -hmm. is good. Yeah. A lot of people say that about duck that it's just too greasy, you don't want to eat it. Mm. That's good. There we go. Never eaten crow before. It's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Like I said before, I mean, who's to say what? Look, big burden (laughs) fighting. You bird! You bird tastes good! So Marty and I were talking about before, you know, who's to say what, what's food and what's not food. And I mean, if you subscribe to the, the theory of hunting and killing your own food, I mean, unless there's a law against it, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason, I mean, as long as it's a bird, it's just poultry. Yeah, go for some barbecue crow, <laughs> and if it ends up being really bad—which this isn't, this is really good—it <laughs> ends up being really bad. You always got the old BBQ to save. I could eat that without, man. That's yeah, pretty, that's pretty I mean, good. The, the breading came out really well. It helps a lot, but the the meat inside is surprisingly good. Mm-hmm. But you're just talking corn-fed crows, just like you would a chicken, essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we said an hour ago, these guys were over in a wheat field. Eating freshly cut wheat. Yeah. I did not think this day was going to end with a smile on my face (laughs) because the food was good. I thought this was going to end in a dare of, you know, Mm -hmm. seeing who would eat the last piece. Now it's going to end in a fight over who gets the last piece. So, if you had to pick an animal that most people can compare it to, what would be the animal you would pick? Because there's a lot of people that. Haven't ever eaten. I mean, it's really. Goose. It's really close to beef, almost like a cheaper cut of steak. Yeah, definitely. But you, you said it. I, I, uh, I would I definitely, definitely agree with that. Kind of like, like a.
6: Well, a lot of people should be looking at some new recipes of crow. Now, today we have a lot to talk about, as you guys know, those of you that follow me on Telegram uh, in the wee hours of this morning, uh, just to, you know, make it symbolic. Um, Well, I guess I was triggered too. My lawyer last night uh, told me that an attorney sent him an email in my case, my defamation case, where I'm suing uh, dominion uh, media matters congressman cohen and ali abdul razak akbar also known as ali alexander who claims to be the founder of stop the steal <laughs> right who's actually the reason why i can't start depositions with dominion voting because he's too chicken shit to present himself in the case uh, anyway an attorney which represents uh well in an email, said, represented, Dr. J. Halderman. And a lot of you that are following this election fraud know that um, Halderman, uh, Dr. Halderman is an expert, uh, and thank you, FD Flash, is an expert in uh, election uh, voting systems globally. He is actually very smart. And I want to walk you through this curling case because a lot of people haven't done that you just know that there's this report you know that a judge is sitting on it you know that it's being stymied right i want to walk you through that report but to walk you through i want to tell you what happened so last night uh, after my campaign event my um uh attorney told me that um A gentleman from a law firm called MoFo Sofitting uh advised me as advised us that he is not representing Dr. Halderman, which is really bizarre because two weeks earlier, or three maybe, uh after we had subpoenaed Dr. Halderman for the uh a full twenty five thousand word report. Um, he said that he's the attorney and Siza and a federal judge in Georgia said you can't have it and therefore you can't. And you know we had to tell him you know Georgia's another you know circuit court and Siza has no jurisdiction in my case. So and I'm not looking to to expose election voting. I'm I'm just trying to get justice because people defame me right. I mean, that's basically it. Dominion Voting had a lot to say about me and uh, on a global scale. So did Media Matters. And so they just need to tell me where my affidavit that I filed in these election fraud lawsuits um, was um, erroneous and uh, warranted defamation. So um, I was uh, fired up. I said, listen. I'm really fired up. I'm fired up because I had my first campaign event even though I'm still not on the ballot, which I'll get to too. And YouTube cut video. I mean, I'm okay with that cuz you know, I'm very self-conscious. But it was it was really weird. I mean, how do you just cut the video feed? And then audio is going on, but then it decides to cut off right as I'm explaining that, you know, the the late Attorney General of North Dakota who allegedly died of an ulcer then was resurrected then a heart attack then an ulcer you know the the usual cover-up stories when someone takes their life right um, kind of like you know how Epstein hung himself uh, four feet yet he's six feet you know he was able to curl his feet while he did it and snapped his neck you know stuff like that so when I was actually pointing out of this young man who from the age of uh, 10 11 was actually sexually abused by politicians uh, who was shot point-blank in the back of the skull by a police officer a um, under the direction of somebody, I guess, because the young man was unarmed. Um, and there's a video on that. And, you know, the attorney general said that the police officer was completely innocent because it's totally normal for a cop to put a loaded gun at the base of the skull of someone who's completely um, unable to respond because apparently he was off his face, maybe drunk because it was around the 4th of July, Um you know, and then shoot him is totally not his fault. But anyway, there is an ongoing FBI investigation on that. So I digress. But anyways, I started talking about that. They just cut the feed, which is really bizarre. Uh, so I, I was a little bit fired up. And, and, and I asked my attorney, hey, grab some coffee because I want to file the stuff that I got from for Halderman. So basically, a lot of people know about this Halderman report, and uh, there's a seven-page report that Emerald Robinson has put up. That's been publicly available for a while. Uh, that seven-page summary uh, was actually filed in the court in uh, September of 2021. Uh, my uh, new report that is now making rounds slowly around the Internet is uh, a 24-page, very detailed um, uh, election fraud report. Uh, Report by Dr. J. Halderman uh, that shows both faces. So if you compare the two reports, one is talking about the QR codes and the imaging, and then the other one talks about hacks. And a lot of people tell you about hacking to understand things, uh, but... Um, you know, today I'll, I'll introduce you to a few of those notions so you can understand, because that actual report, that portion of the report validates portions of my affidavit uh, where I talked about the uh, off-the-shelf components uh, that are available, either in the machines or through the computer systems that the uh, Board of Elections uses uh, that allow for hacking, either that be domestic, foreign or domestic, right? And so... Uh, You know, I had to file this supplemental brief uh, to just say, hey, look, I got this new information. Uh, Apparently, this guy's not his lawyer, even though the email thread says that he is. uh, And that's fine. But uh, here's the report, Judge. And this is why it's very important that you compel Dr. Halderman to give it to me. Now, uh, that was filed at about 4 a.m. this morning, Eastern Time. Um, And... um, uh, what happened is uh, a magistrate judge jumped in, you know, magistrate judges are like assistants to the judges. Right. And the magistrate just jumps in all of a sudden and says, Nope, denied. You are not allowed to, because we have no discovery. And so I'm a little bit confused, right? Because discovery is about me asking the defendants for stuff. Uh, But while I'm in court, I am allowed to, according to the federal rules and civil procedure to subpoena other things. So I could get ready for my case. Right. And so I, I don't know why the judge did this. Maybe they missed something. Maybe they thought that Dr. Halderman was part of, uh, I don't know, Dominion or Media Matters. I don't know. Who knows? But we had to point out that there was a deficiency. So then we had to file again because, you know, what's really funny is the timing, though. Let's see, The magistrate judge sent this, um, you know, motion to like deny the order to compel and then almost immediately dominion voting sends an email and i don't want to make it public because i don't like to embarrass people unnecessarily you know saying oh now you got to withdraw your subpoenas from john brennan and everybody and it's like uh no i don't so we had to file this right um and now tonight i'm also filing a temporary restraining order to cease all ballot printing in the state of ohio yeah i'm really fucking shit up um And that's because my expedited motion that has taken 31 days for the Supreme Court to determine that indeed the secretary of state of, um, you know, Ohio committed, you know, violated their own laws and rules. Uh, directors of Board of Elections across the state violated their own laws and rules. And and, you know, the prosecutors of some counties fucked up and they violated the law and their own laws and rules. So now I'm gonna have to like file in federal court a temporary restraining order restraining the state from printing any ballots to send them overseas because I'm not on the ballot yet because the Supreme Court is real busy and can't look at this expedited motion, which is really weird considering that in 47 days there's a primary election so I guess I got to contest that and um ask a federal court to intervene just put me directly on the November ballot because I haven't been able to fundraise I haven't been able to go out and talk I haven't been able to do anything so I think that would be very important and um so yeah that's what I've been busy doing today aside from having a huge St. Patrick's parade uh going around uh you know um outside of my apartment. In addition, I have been responding to questions that I should have provided earlier to ProPublica, which I'll give them tonight. And rather than me just give questions, you know, when they do when 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 someone sends you an email for questions, look, they're respectable, you know, they're very courteous, but there's like this undertone of uh, you know, not a nice sense. So I thought um I could share those with you, so that way you can see. And uh, instead of me just sending it off, I thought that what I could do is actually make it public. So I'm actually going to, you know, post it as an article on my web page, um, just so people can see uh, who, what, when, where, and 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 why things happen. So um, let's see. I'm going to open up this page now um, and share that with you. Let's see right there. So this is not published yet, but I thought I'd walk you through a couple of the questions because I'm still editing some additional comments, you know, just to close off my article. I'm not a very good writer either. So uh, I have to be a little bit more careful because I usually like bullet points and I cuss a little. So I got to be careful how I, um, you know, formulate my responses. So, um The title of this is Ministry of Truth ProPublica Edition. Um, You know, the the reporters that have come to me, as you will see, are people that are considered fact checkers. (laughs) The irony of that is that I'm being fact checked by people in an organization that perpetuated a conspiracy theory of a Russia hoax for over four years and uh, also denied that Hunter Biden's laptop was real and called it Russian disinformation. So it's kind of like weird, but, you know, I'll entertain it, right? You know Maybe. Maybe they've seen the errors of their ways. So I kick this off by putting a little introduction that for over two years, I've been reporting on how the Republican Party was responsible for helping rig the elections in collusion with the Democrats in 2020. In fact, Sidney McCain with the IRI, which is the International Republican Something Something, had a delegation go to Ukraine to observe the elections of Ukraine. Zelensky was elected in a landslide win with over 70% of the votes. Zelensky is actually got interesting before becoming president of Ukraine he was simply a comedian and not a very well known one people usually mock Zelensky calling him twinkle toes so it's really weird how he became president you know in such a landslide election so it's 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 it's, it's a little bit bizarre okay and so uh, though what no one speaks of is the established and now verified close relationship with the 44th administration, um, uh, which includes Barack Hussein Obama and Joe Biden that they have with Ukraine. Obama helped usher their elections in 2014 after Joe told them to fire a prosecutor or get no money. In the same year, his son, Hunter Biden, was appointed to the board of Burisma. That cited in my 2020 election fraud affidavit on page 27. The whole affidavit, keep in mind, has never been disproven since I cited and sourced everything. Almost everything I have declared under penalty and perjury over two years has been corroborated. So this is my 37-page affidavit signed under penalty and perjury. On page 27, you will find, and I snipped it so you could see it, that your federal tax dollars were given to Ukraine in 2014 for elections and 2,000 temporary employees and 250 permanent employees to help execute the elections in Ukraine that suffered the same fate as the 2020 elections here. Uh, Ukraine stopped counting votes in the middle of the night and in the morning. The person the trailing behind won and they blamed it on Russia, swept it under the rug, and declared victory for the guy Joe nominated. And here's that declaration of $50 million to help Ukraine. P- um, okay, President Obama and Vice President Biden, so it was Biden too, uh, have made the U.S. support for Ukraine an urgent priority as the Ukrainian government works to establish security. Uh, so this was the order where they actually used um, federal taxpayer dollars. Uh, to uh, support uh, their elections and usher their elections uh, according to the verbiage. Now, while our tax dollars are funding PBS public broadcasting system to berate and obfuscate actual election fraud, individual organizations like ProPublica are fact-checking something they already deemed to be untrue and coined the big lie. These are the same fact-checkers that perpetuated the big lie that there was Russian collusion and that Hunter Biden's laptop is Russian disinfo. Um, ProPublica sent me questions to answer during the course of their fact checking and tried to convince people who know me personally that they know me better than them and that they should be embarrassed to be my friends. I've never met either of these fact checkers, just for the record. So for someone who's a conspiracy theorist like me, I'm sure right now, a lot of the time, uh, you know, I'm the only one right now with standing in federal court and in Supreme Court. Uh, for election integrity. Therefore, if I was a loser, grifter, conspiracy theorist, they would be mocking and laughing at my cases and said, everyone is silent and defer to rumors and defamation to make their point. And this is why Media Matters for America pulled the big guns with Soros, Lapdog, Mark Elias' firm to defend them in my defamation case. So I decided to make this whole process public so you can see the types of questions asked and the information I'm providing. Uh, The reporter was courteous to me, sent me questions that had a nice, strong undertone of the hippies. Here are the questions and answers I provided. And now you will, you know, tomorrow or whenever they publish, you will see if any of that information will be conveyed into their alleged impartial report. So their introduction began as, Dear tour Maris Lindemann, I'm reaching out because ProPublica will soon be releasing an article that includes a description of your actions related to various attempts to challenge the results of the 2020 presidential election. We appreciate the questions you've answered in your conversation with my colleague, Ali Burzon, who's on this thread. And she was quite nice, and I recorded the conversation as well. She's super cool. Now, we're reaching the final fact-checking stage of our article. Please review the following list of questions for accuracy to provide comments, clarification, blah, 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 and the deadline. So the first question is... Is it correct that the spelling of your name is Terpsitur Maris Lindemann? So first I said, no, but you already need that. I have a birth certificate and government ID to prove that it's not. The misspelling is a reminder of my previous employment and that I was a victim of domestic violence, both directly and indirectly. That included uh, being a victim of identity theft by my spouse. Uh, there are laws against that. It's called Marcy's Law, you know, harassing and weaponizing crimes against victims. Just thought I'd throw that out there. So is it correct that you go by the online handle, Tori says? Yes. But unfortunately, not all handles with the name Tori says online are mine. Social media companies that have not verified my handle are not to be taken at face value as my own unless I confirm them myself if they are unverified. Tori says is trademark, but I don't have time to sue everyone using that handle. Sock puppets misuse Tori says handle or disgruntled failed Lincoln Project operatives like Ali Abdul Razak Akbar, a.k.a. Ali Alexander, who I'm suing in federal court for defamation, by the way. So the next question was, is it correct that you're a social media influencer now? You know, I take real offense to things like this. I take real offense to things like this. And so my response is going to be, <laughs> Quite straightforward. What does that even mean? I'm a former private intelligence contractor, whistleblower, and investigative journalist with one of the most popular podcasts globally. Social media influencer sounds like a consumer brand, like consumer brand prostitution. I don't have consumer brand advertisers. The brand is me. A lot of companies hit me up to promote their products to get paid. I respectfully decline as my employer is the people. I'm pushing gold, silver t-shirts and VPNs for people who need others' coattails to stay afloat. I think I was quite concise. Obviously, like I said, this is my draft and I'm sharing it with you. So that way you guys can see uh, what my responses are. I'd, I'd also appreciate feedback the next question that constantly keep doing, and you know, it was funny, Alex Kaplan of Media Matters uh, sent out tweets while he's in a defamation suit with me, you know, (laughs) calling me a QAnon influencer. They took the tweet down, but, you know, we got the screen capture. So that's great. But they asked me, is it correct that you have promoted content related to QAnon conspiracy theories? Uh, You know. I don't know what QAnon is, but I, I am going to define things. So Q is short for quantum computing program that is still classified that few people have had the privilege to interface with. This quantum system time travels by way of quantum number crunching using fancy algorithms, aka intricate predictive analytics. The Department of Defense and Defense Intelligence can give you specifics that they're able to declassify. I searched the term anon online. Online anon is defined as a short term for anonymous. I'm no longer working as a subcontractor with the intelligence agencies like the CIA. Therefore I have no affiliation with the anonymous contracting network that they run. And I don't understand what QAnon conspiracy theory is. I do know the conspiracy theory of Russia collusion that you reported as fact for over four years and the conspiracy theory that Hunter Biden's laptop, which I also have, was Russian disinformation. Now, if you're referring to the flaming Q that I use a satire in my name, I should state that I may no longer have access to the quantum computing program. Nevertheless, the queue is simply there to troll and trigger media personas like Will Somner, who purport to be institutions that promote journalistic integrity that is now synonymous with uh, propaganda i think I think uh, you know that was very concise and um you know gave them a lot of information, maybe information they didn't know, so I thought I would answer it uh, as 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 transparent as I could uh, so that way you know they can you know digest that. So, um, you know, everyone's obsessed and I'm going to say this. Patrick's going to be so upset that I'm going to say this. Right. Uh, But, uh, you know, whatever. Everyone's obsessed that me and Patrick Byrne are friend's like, why? Like, do they want to hear something like what? That Tori's sleeping with Patrick? Is that what they want? And then I'm going to write a book, Fat Girl's Guide to Bagging a Millionaire. Come on. Like, seriously, like, is it so beyond that that they can't, you know, think that, you know, uh, these media personalities are so insane. Right. Uh, and they're upset and they're like, you shouldn't be her friend. And it's like, dude, have you broken bread with me? Do you know? I'm actually quite funny and I'm cool. Okay. So (laughs) anyway, anyway, and uh, we're totally not like I would consider him like my brother. Okay. I'm just letting you know. But I think that would have been a funny answer, but I'm not going to put it out there because, you know, they take everything and they just boom, you know. So anyway, continuing. Um, with this, uh, nice question. Uh, is it correct that you traveled to Washington DC in mid November and met with Patrick Byrne to present yourself to him as a witness to election fraud? So I responded. A few days after the election, I traveled to Washington, D.C. while Alaska was paused in counting ballots, even though 10 people lived there. I encountered Patrick Byrne when I was in Washington, D.C. to provide evidence and direction on documenting and capturing evidence of election fraud. All evidence provided was not taken at face value. That was regrettable. That was a regrettable factor as everything I presented has been proven correct and corroborated. All they needed to do was capture one router from Alaska and trace the route of the stolen data and PCAPs to determine the hack that seemed to be shell shock among other digital manipulation strategies to change the election outcomes. The attack was identical to the one deployed by the 44th administration in Ukraine in 2014. I'm under the impression the same method was used in 2019 and this is why a comedian won the election for president in a landslide election. Notably, at the Munich Security Conference in 2019, Joe Biden stated that he was not willing to run as president unless their own person won the election to Ukraine. When Zelensky won in landslide, Biden announced his alleged run while he never campaigned, but still won. I'm pretty confident that there's recorded audio of that conversation. And if memory serves me right, Yovanovitch was present for it. So I think that was a very concise response. I think, um, you know, it um, kind of gives them all the information that they need in regards to what I did when I went down there and what I was doing. So, um, you know, um, I think that was fantastic. Uh, I personally but I I love your feedback. The next question that I was asked is it correct that a team working for Patrick Byrne debriefed you about the evidence of election fraud that you claim to have, you know, witnessed? and it's like claimed question mark. It's a fact. My, affidav- my affidavit tells you everything you need to know that I've made public. In fact, in my defamation case, I filed two unredacted summaries of a report unlawfully sealed, uh, unlawfully under seal in Georgia that demonstrates that election fraud is a hundred percent real. Unlike the fake Russia collusion stories that you ran with for four years, I made public a twenty. 20- uh, over 20 page declaration of Dr. Halderman this morning in my defamation case attached to the correspondence for you to review. As you can see from today's filing in my defamation suit, Halderman's attorney is no longer Halderman's attorney, even though he identified himself as Halderman's attorney. And therefore, it is important that I file the simple bunch of proof with the new materials in my motion to compel. So, this is the filing in my case 317. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's um, 45 pages long. So, I mean, yeah, and it's fantastic. Um, you know, the funny thing is, here's a seven-page declaration, and then here's the new one that had never seen the light of day. Um, and then, you know, it was almost an immediate denial by the magistrate to order to compel, right? But, um, you know, we responded immediately, too, and filed a response because I think maybe the magistrate kind of misconstrued something. You know, people make mistakes, whatever. But we did also get a nasty gram from Dominion voting attorneys almost immediate, immediately after the magistrate intervened about our subpoenas. But like I said, I'm going to keep those to myself. I don't need to embarrass people. So then the next question is how do you respond to Burns description of that debriefing where he wrote a letter in an email? Tori was taken out and interviewed by some people I know from the intelligence community who are absolutely on our side. They came back telling me, you know, this sounds like that guy that tries to sell the book, that loser that thinks because he writes a book, it's real anyway. And, and this is a totally true statement by Patrick, you know, and obviously he was spoke to, um, They came back telling me she knows things and she's been behind the curtain, but she also lies, exaggerates, deflects, changes subject rapidly, trying to throw people off. We can't rely on her for anything factual because we caught her in too many lies and exaggeration over three hours. Yeah, I was there for six hours. So here's how I responded without adding the extra stuff that you guys already know. I don't want to put that in writing because then, you know, that could be. That could open up another can of worms, but I'm not shy about it. So anyway, I made it no secret that I was knowingly attempting to deceive those asking me questions. I had no idea who I was toking, talking to. I told Patrick Burn that immediately. I was en route to an undisclosed location and had no idea who these people are. As the interview became specific, I tried my best to deceive them. I was scared and alerted those close confidants of mine. My last location by pin drop before my devices were Faraday were in Faraday cages. Remember, only a couple months ago, I had admitted to having copied all the passport data as instructed from the State Department in the documentary Shadowgate on two drives. I had full permissions, access and barcode identification of the system I used. I had no idea it was reported as a hack later. The drives had passport information, including Barack Hussein Obama's passports and details about his trip to Karachi, Pakistan, where he trained. I don't remember most of the interview slash interrogation. I thought it was one hour as I had not shifted position or used the bathroom in six hours. I was very scared. I remember parts of the six-hour interview interrogation where I even revealed that I was the one who organized the boat that took Chris Stevens across the Mediterranean to Libya the year before he became ambassador. I had arranged a decoy and actual motor transport. I also remember telling them that the annex in Italy would have all the communication that then-Secretary Clinton had in response to the Benghazi situation that she lied about. The mode of payment of rioters and agitators may still be somewhere in those files in Naples. I think I answered that question pretty well without going into the whole, you know, hand sanitizer and Swedish fish and eating candy from, from foreigners. I thought, you know, I, I thought that that would be very, very important to kind of make it uh, known as to why I had this fear and, um, you know, uh, why I would be concerned that I'm, you know, picked up by one car, dropped off by another one, going somewhere, and then they want to take my devices and, you know, whatever. So uh, the next question uh, that was raised by them is, is it correct that soon after being debriefed, uh, you then began helping with election fraud researchers at various hotels around Washington, D.C.? I think I needed to, like, redirect. I have been whistleblowing on election fraud for over a decade. In fact, in 2015, I started reaching out to secretaries of states to ensure that voter roll issues were addressed. In fact, your outlet, outlet, ProPublica, wrote a hit piece about my vocal stance in 2016, about my efforts to draw attention to voter roll integrity by demonstrating that non-U.S. citizens were registered to vote. Though the article was to minimize my whistleblowing efforts and an attempt to shame a minority woman, And it backfired as it shined more light on how the DMV automatically registers people in the state of Kentucky. Days after someone signs documentations for a driver's license, if they have not selected party affiliation, they are automatically registered to the Democrat Party by DMV clerks, regardless of their citizenship status. Notably, in Kentucky, my identity compromise was also realized at the DMV, and I sought assistance from a congressman to rectify my documentation. The undertone of the statement question resonates with a grifty tone of me popping out of nowhere is completely instantiated. In addition, in 2016, I was present in Washington, D.C. in October when McCain and Graham in my presence were talking about Harry Reid taking the infamous fabricated by the 44th administration paid dossier to Mother Jones. You know, the dossier you and every other media outlet used to perpetuate the fake Russia collusion theory that Obama for America, Clinton for America, and DNC paid through a bank account where they commingled their assets by Perkins Coy. I think one indictment against Sussman, their shared attorney, has already been publicized. For the record, I didn't need debriefing. I had the goods. Though working with the teams there, I was able to compile and analyze data with proper chain of custody. Patrick Byrne and General Flynn had outstanding cyber experts. So, uh, you know, I'm pretty satisfied with that response. I think, you know, giving them as much information to help them with their article is important um, and make sure that they have all the information that they may require to fact check. Um, so the next uh, question was, is it correct that Sydney Powell filed an affidavit a few weeks later that you had provided? Uh, and I simply answered Sidney Powell and Mike Lindell cited my affidavit in their lawsuits against Dominion Voting. The next question was is the Washington Post's identification of you as the witness in the affidavit correct? Yes, though notably I was identified way before the Washington Post defamatory article about me and my affidavit. I did not enjoin them in my ongoing suit against Media Matters for America, among others, as they didn't embellish or lie. They simply regurgitated false statements by the now deceased Attorney General of North Dakota. They didn't weaponize crimes committed against me, so I gave them a pass. I just wanted to let them know that I was gracious. They talked shit. They said whatever, but, um, you know, it's okay. Because they didn't weaponize crimes against me. I think it was because I was live streaming the interview. So maybe that's why they didn't do it. And they would look really shitty doing it. But um, I think it's important to know that people sometimes talk smack, but they didn't embellish. And they just used whatever the attorney general said. And they were very careful. So I appreciated that. Therefore, I did not sue them. So let's go to the next question. Is it correct that in 2021, you and Patrick Byrne became allies, that he has praised your activism and the lawsuit that you filed seeking to expose election fraud? Allies? I consider Patrick Byrne a personal friend who I admire for his intellect and ability to deconstruct complex notions and have intellectual debates with. I have personally known Patrick Byrne for over a decade without formal introductions, but through assignments in my capacity as a private intelligence contractor, most of the time being around him in disguise. I filed a case suing for defamation damages to reclaim my reputation, not election fraud, because they keep saying I'm seeking to expose election fraud. Remember, it's a defamatory case. But, you know, actually, I did find, file something about election fraud in the Supreme Court about the state of Ohio. But, okay, I know what they're going with, so I'm going to focus on that. I have been consistently wrongfully trashed before the entire world for fighting for my country because I filed an affidavit detailing my knowledge and evidence of election fraud, not just by Dominion voting, but by all machine computer voting systems currently used in the United States and abroad. Their software and operation systems are weapons of mass destruction. That is why the Department of Defense created the system in 2004 with federal taxpayer dollars to use overseas. This product is a part of the of USAID's weapons cache. After its first deployment, rigging elections in 2004, ironically, the first ever electronic voting system fraud was documented and discovered in Ohio. In 2004, using voting systems like those in 2020. And last, I'm not an activist. Activists are protesters in the streets getting naked, dancing, dresses, vaginas, waving dildos, screaming, throwing big bricks, stealing handbags and shoes because they're oppressed, and blocking roads. That is entirely unnecessary in today's day and age because the best way to protest is to use the law facts over feelings. I think I was quite concise with that response and like someone pointed out, these questions do look like interrogations because like I've made known in the past that um, you know, uh, these agencies, uh, uh, you know, (laughs) journalists, ah, Gosh, I call them agencies are actually fucking assets of the intelligence community. So, uh, this is something that people need to understand. This is why they look like requests for admissions and, inter- and, and interrogatories. Um, so the, you know, this is a draft. I haven't edited it, it you know, spell checked it and formulated it. Uh, they need it by tomorrow in the morning. I want to give it to them tonight. So while I'm working on my TRO, I will be working on this too. Um, Because it's taken me a while to put together because I want to make sure I'm thorough and they have all the information they need. So the next question is, is it correct that in September 2020, you were found in a civil fraud judgment in North Dakota to have made false online charitable fundraising solicitations and created an entirely fake online persona? And no, that is not correct. I was found in contempt and a default judgment was made based on the allegation and narratives of the late attorney general. They remain unproven allegations. The late attorney general admitted that no monies were lost, no victims were identified, and no complaint was ever filed in his own filings. Now, fake online persona is something that is an accusatory statement, In my line of work, false identities were imperative for me to execute my duties, assignments and or projects I was assigned by my contracting employer, Global Security Group and or TAC and or Stanley and or other companies based out of Luxembourg under the purview of John Owen Brennan, former personal advisor to Senator Barack Hussein Obama, former personal advisor to President Barack Hussein Obama and former CIA director appointed by President Barack Hussein Obama. I never solicited any funds for charities. That was an allegation the Attorney General made to substantiate his apparent violation of my civil rights to simply go fishing with secret subpoenas, hoping to find a crime, but he didn't. Instead, the Attorney General and his agents witnessed crimes against my children and I and sat idly. They observed such actions for two years and even used crimes they knew that were committed against me in their civil suit to formulate a narrative to justify why I should why I shouldn't use the internet, among other things. In the course of this, my HIPAA was violated, making it public that I was being treated for cancer, which is a violation of federal law, among other things, such as falsely claiming that I had a criminal record, which I did not. In addition, I was never allowed to depose him, but he was allowed to depose me. How is that justice? us? How is that fair? As a litigant, I had a right to depose him, but was deprived of this right. They should concern you and every other citizen in the United States when politics and loyalty to one person supersedes the law of the land and confirms that justice is no longer blind. That's communism rules for you, but not for me more specifically to the case. Anyone who fails to register a charity should be disallowed to use the internet and have secret subpoenas issued to search all your bank accounts and any other records they want and wiretap your home, among other things, with no complaint and victim or monetary loss, right? Because that's what happened to me. And keep in mind that not many people in the United States can come out unscathed through a complete fishing expedition by law enforcement. They couldn't find one crime, yet they had access to everything. Can you say you would be confident of that outcome yourself if that were to happen to you? I think I'll take a pause there. I think that's, you know, that's a little bit, you know, heavy right there. Um, I'm trying to see if there's any feedback. I think that response is quite concise and and demonstrates what we have envisioned and seen as lawfare uh, in front of our eyes playing out for over six years against other people. Um so, um, uh, and I'll continue my responses in August of 2021, the Supreme Court of North Dakota found that even though the lower courts were wrong in their orders, they were still orders and it had to comply. They also denied the late attorney general attorney fees. Moreover, the monetary judgment that people love to throw around of 25,000 was not because that money was stolen or claimed by anyone. But it was his demand for fees that he wanted me to pay for him maliciously and illegally investigating me. I also added my attorney's name, email, and phone number for specifics about the complaint that I'm filing on behalf of myself and my minor child against the state of North Dakota for negligence, defamation, civil and civil libel and civil slander, Marcy's law violations, malicious prosecution, abuse of process, obstruction of justice, intentional infliction of emotional distress, negligent infliction of emotional distress, and any other emo- any other additional claims discovered as the parties proceed through discovery so I think I was very concise in that and um you know, gave him a very good response. Um, and, and that's because I find, you know, they sent out all these questions to a bunch of people I knew um, uh, before and during that I met in Washington. And it seems like they've already made up their mind that it's a lie, which, you know, in essence right now may be able to fly. But in uh, about, uh, I don't know, I'd like to say 12 to 18 months, any media company that has perpetuated conspiracy theories like that should be shut down. In fact, the people have a right to demand that they close their doors and get stripped of any such uh, you know, title. Uh, and we need to get that done because right now we have them uh, completely providing false information um, to the public. Remember, four years, right? Four years, they had us. On Russia collusion. And you know, it was funny, the people that actually colluded to create the Russia collusions were the ones that were investigating the Russia collusion, therefore their plan. It's like so bootleg. It's like me stealing cookies and then going to investigate who stole the cookies. Like the fuck? Now, um, there are a few things where they're like, do you have any comments or clarifications? And I think I may add a few of these. These are just random paragraphs. You know, how does an attorney general get secret subpoenas and violate my Fourth Amendment rights before even filing a court in a court, a complaint or conviction to justify such a violation of my civil rights in a civil suit? I have no criminal convictions. I have no criminal records. I have never been charged with a crime other than a traffic violation. It was actually a traffic crime, and I pled it down to a traffic violation for inadvertently dropping a cigarette out of a car window while it was raining. That was the most expensive cigarette ever. I also take, I say that I take great offense as a minority woman, single mom and survivor of domestic violence, both direct and indirect, to be constantly scrutinized for being revolutionary and speaking truth as a whistleblower in the age of deception. People believe they get a free pass to harass me or my children for being victims of crimes, which is disgusting. And I make no secret of who I was and what I did. I serve my country in uniform, discharged honorably, and non-uniform. And I also said the irony is that I've been called a conspiracy theory by people who push fake, fabricated, and ultimate treasonous narrative for over four years because President Trump was duly elected. Um, You know, and you know what's funny? Look at this. Ukraine, Obama, Biden, D.C. Mafia, global election meddling, personal gain, and global extortion. You know, when did I write this one? I want to see. I'm just curious. What does it say here? 2019? During the course. Of, oh, okay. So this is from 2019 election fraud. Oh, look at what it says. It says Ukraine. Oh, I even forgot. I wrote that article. You know, I just been putting out so much information there and you know, it's funny. Um, my whole, um, website was deleted and, um, Thank you. Live in Light Ray. Thank you. Um, my whole website was deleted in August of 2020 without a trace. This was done by a gentleman named Scott Adams, who owns Red State Talk Radio. Um, you know, his wife is Armenian. Democrats, State Department assets. I was just shocked that my whole server was purged after Millie Weaver got out of jail. And then I was fired too. Uh, Like, Meaning he said, you know, you're, you're talking a lot about Q, so you need to go. And guess who he replaced me with when I didn't talk about Q? He replaced me with these people called In The Matrix and Shady Groove who literally talk about Q. That's how insane that is. It is the most disgusting spineless thing I'd ever seen. But anyway, I digress, right? Um, so, wow, I didn't even remember this article. Did any of you? Remember? I've never seen it, but look at the way my website is so cool and giving like nice suggestions. I wonder what the suggestions are in this. Oh, look, fact sheet, U.S. crisis support to Ukraine. Stop it. Stop Is this where, oh look, is that her? Isn't she beautiful? The 2014 leak call, the fake dossier. Wait, is this the one?
2: Let me see. We're in play. Um, The the, uh, Klitschko piece is obviously the complicated electron here, Um, especially the announcement of him as deputy prime minister. And you've seen some of my notes on the troubles in the marriage right now. So we're trying to get a read really fast on where he is on this stuff. But I think your argument to him, which you'll need to make, I think that's the next phone call we want to set up.
6: See, so elections and constitutional reform, according to the White House press release. Look at that. Look at that. Like you have everything you need on my website. Because you do. The past definitely proves the future, doesn't it? Huh. It says here that, uh, in other words, we sent people in there to usher and marshal the Ukrainians. We sent people and created relationships with oligarchs to strong-armed Ukrainians to do as we say. We should all be ashamed. See, these are things that, you know, a lot of people miss. You know, that's why it's funny sometimes when I um when I hear people talking about me, right? And it's like, one day you'll be telling people how you know me. Because the the thing, I, I'll tell you what, today I was very irate for about two hours. I was on the phone with one of my other lawyers, Grant, who's busy doing something with clients. And I was telling him just how upset I was. I was upset that I feel like no one sticks up for me, which is wrong. I've got a whole family of people like, you know, around me all the time, Right. And, um, oh, there it is. And, um, I was, I was actually on the verge of tears because I was like, look at this. Like, you know, I just gave the Halderman report. You know, people haven't even looked into it carefully enough to see that election fraud is real. Right. Um, people keep making statements about me, but none of these people that make statements are actually doing anything right? They do absolutely nothing. And someone might say, well, you're an activist. I'm not. I'm actually walking the damn talk. Right. All these people talk, 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 but they're not walking the talk. They're all insiders. They all have this shit and they're not doing anything. They're telling people what to do, but they're not doing it. You can't expect someone to just take direction and then buy your gold coins, silver coins, and your stupid t shirts if you're not, you know, producing anything. You know, uh, our teachers are paid by our tax dollars because they're supposed to be not indoctrinating, but actually educating. And when you have A news commentary show, if you're simply just giving facts, then yeah, you're gonna hope that people are gonna buy your shit. But nine times out of ten, that's not happening, right? You gotta have someone that pays you to be on there. And remember, when you take advertising money, someone's got their hand up your butt telling you what to do, right? And this is why I refuse to take, you know, um, money from companies uh, to, um, to advertise their products because then they owe me, um, you know they own me. I have to say something nice about them. I mean, I did do an advertisement for Better Help, which was you know the online mental health thing because I was seeing that a lot of my listeners were struggling with COVID a lot, and so I was like, yeah, you're going to pay me to advertise something. I would advertise for free, sure, thanks. You know, or Devry Cybersecurity. I have to put that out there. Um, you know, that's important because you could do that at home. I think uh, learning about cybersecurity is a freaking skill, not only just for employment, but you know, whatever to to know. Um, so, you know, uh, a lot of you know these people that have commentaries or make money by defaming me, right? Think they're going to get away with it when I'm done with this defamation suit? I'm going to have a war chest of. A lot of millions of dollars, and I will come after every single one of them. I uh, and I will, and you better bet your bottom dollar if I can box in elected officials and former intelligence chiefs, your cakewalk. So, the bottom line is, you know, um, I felt desperate. Desperate because I feel like, you know, there's so many people talking about how they're fighting for America and not one of them has tried to put their hand under under my bum to say, hey, we're watching your case. You know, we appreciate you. And you know that sucks because it's like you're the most important ones that should give a crap, right? The actual people that are being affected, my actual listeners, right? Why would I care if some supposed alleged right wing conservative middle of the road, whatever talks about it? You know, but I think it's that cattiness, that human portion of it where you want to feel that validation and, and that sucks. Right. Cause I was really sad. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, I don't think people realize I'm in federal court about mask mandates. I'm in federal court with the governor of Ohio. I'm in the Supreme Court about election fraud in the state of Ohio. I'm filing a temporary restraining order against a whole state to not print ballots. I'm in federal court suing Dominion voting. I'm in federal court suing Media Matters. I'm in federal court suing Ali Akbar. I'm in uh, federal court, um, suing Congressman Cohen. Right. And I'm doing all this shit. I've made the Halderman, you know, report thing public. And I feel like Voldemort still, you know. And, and what people don't realize is that, you know, that Ali Abdul Razak Bar dude, he always says that he speaks truth and he stands by his word. Yeah. You know why I can't depose Dominion or Media Matters or freaking Congressman Cohen with a box of. Maybe I could get a Kentucky Fried Crow and offer him a piece. You know why I can't? Is because he hasn't filed in my case. He constantly is dodging my case. He's slow walking America getting justice. This is a guy who claims that he's about to stop the steal. He's slow walking my ability to depose Dominion voting systems. Can I make that clear? This guy that claims he's stopped the seal is slow walking my ability to depose Dominion voting systems in my case. That is a fact because the judge cannot move forward and set a date because we're still waiting for him. Right? And that's a fact. And you know what? I got a call from a friend. who's a dolphin speaker who I absolutely adore, right? Adored the person at the first instance. Cause he had dirty jokes. I'm a sucker for shit like that. And, um, we met in, um, in Washington and we were plowing through some data. He helped me and put some on um, USB stick. So I could take back to my hotel and go through it. Right. And, um, He said he doesn't even want to get on Truth Social because apparently Ali Alexander has like 20 accounts redoing his stuff. I mean, I'm thinking like Devin Nunes, where the fuck? What is going on here? What is going on here? This is the guy why we can't fix 2020. That's a fact. The reason I can't get into depositions is because of him. The whole world should be like, dude, you said the truth, right? So just go ahead. She needs to depose Dominion. Go. I mean, what would his excuse be? Well, I'm stopped the steal. Oh, she's not going to depose Dominion. Oh, yes, I am. I'm the one that brought out the Halderman report. Evidence one. Evidence one. Thank you, Gretis. Thank you, Popcorn. See, that's the thing. Like, I need. We need to get the depositions going because the only thing I care about is making sure that my nice affidavit, which has already been validated, will be validated with a stamp of approval from a court and maybe a jury. That's all we need. That is all we need. I mean, obviously, you know, deposing Ali Akbar will be fun because me and him will watch a sex tape with Carl Rove and kind of discuss it, right? But my... My thing is, if he comes out and apologizes publicly that he was wrong for all statements and that he lied about being an expert and that he hijacked the Stop the Steal movement, I would dismiss him, I think, maybe from my case. But he'd have to make all those statements and mean it. I mean, I would dismiss him from this case if he made those statements. So he has a choice. He can either make the state, I mean, you know, why am I making deals with pedophiles? Fuck it. No deal. Let him be known as the guy that is slow walking, Dominion Discovery. No deals because he likes little boys and I don't do that. Sorry. I changed my mind. It's off the table. So, um, you know, for all of you that can interact with this, you know, sorry excuse for a human being, Please feel free to let him know that the reason uh, we cannot get any discovery uh, done with Dominion voting systems is because he's not honoring the court's process. Now, I can, uh, you know, I can uh, get him into the court at some point, but this delays everything. So it's kind of important that we make that happen. I think it's quite imperative. And if all of us, You know, get out to him. Thank you, Julie. I agree. No deals. No deals. You know, and we'll go through some of the points of this Halderman report that was released today. I had a few people, you know, reach out to me in text that have been very mean and said very bad things about me in the past. They were like, oh, I was wrong about you. And, you know, I was, you know, didn't know what to think of you. And it's like, you know, I really don't care at this point. I'm not going to call them out or anything because it's embarrassing enough for them to say that they were wrong to their audience, but I applaud them for being able to eat that crow nicely. I mean, I, we saw the recipe. It tastes good. Um, you know, and, and I, can you blame them? I mean, when you see the circle of friends they have, I wouldn't blame them for not being able to trust anybody. Anyway, thanks D. I appreciate you. Yeah. I need some Dion on up in my place to be cooking. He puts out some pictures on telegram of food that he cooks. Damn. I want to eat all of that, by the way. I also, <laughs> I also wanted to say, please, and I'm reinforcing this, if you have the opportunity in any social media, mean or email, reach out to this Akbar character and tell him that he is the reason that we are unable to get into deposition phase with um, Dominion Voting Systems because he's dragging his feet. Thank you, Cat Car. It's really important because right now... Okay, a few days ago, last week, he was provided an extra 21 days since, you know, his lawyer had a big mouth and threatened my attorney with, you know, sanctions. He was like, well, I think we should. And I was like, no. And he was like, you should be nice. And I was like, fine. So for three months, this guy has been doing nothing but pretending not to get my filings. You know, he shows pictures and videos of himself opening shit up from his PO box, but then says return to sender or ignores the fact that he was served, right? His boyfriend comes out of his house. Thank you, Karen. His boyfriend comes out of his house and takes his car that we double checked the VIN number. It is Ali Akbar's, right? And drives away and gets two coffees and comes back, but he's not there. Well, this attorney made the error of saying that he was an attorney. So now we've reset the clock to 21. So this is where Ali Akbar has 21 days to respond. So he can take the full 21 days or he can respond a little bit earlier so that way we can get the ball rolling. But knowing Ali Akbar, he's not going to respond. He's going to make me have to file a motion to compel him. And that'll take another 30 days. And then that will lapse and then it'll take another 30 days. See, this is the problem. He is the reason we cannot fix 2020 now. I would... Appreciate if all of you make that as publicly known as you can. You know, uh, we had Jake Armstrong that's running for District 17 in Texas. Anyone in District 17 vote for that man who staked out his house, who videotaped the interaction, who checked the VIN number, who checked everything. Ali Akbar was in that house playing hide and go seek. And Jake served him. And you know how we know that? Because Ali Akbar called the police, and that shit's recorded, to ask why there was someone that looks like they were outside their house watching their house. Thank you, popcorn. So he lied. We have all that evidence. But let's pretend that's gone. What we need to do is get into deposition phase with Dominion. Why? Because that's how fast I can Prove that the defamation, the wrongful defamation of saying that my affidavit was bullshit when I signed that under penalty and perjury can be completed. Now, right now, um, the actual 20 plus somewhat, it was 24 pages of the Halderman report summary has so much damning information. We're going to go through that Um, Right after our break, but before we go to the break, I want us to enjoy the moment, the moment, Jen Sackey, who said Hunter Biden's laptop was a conspiracy theory, had to eat crow and avoid the question. Speaking of that, on the day that I had my parade, the New York Times reached out to me, asking me about Ashley Biden's laptop. And I was a little bit confused because it caught me off guard. Um, thank you, Cedar. It caught me off guard. Uh, you know why are they calling me? I was getting ready for like you know my my the parade thing I did with my campaign team. So the New York Times calls me. He apologizes. He calls on a Sunday morning. and It was quite early. Um, I think it was like hey, quite early. It was like eleven o'clock on Sunday, right? Um, and so New York Times calls me and starts asking me about the Ashley Biden diary. And they posed the question in almost in a way as if I had the original Ashley Biden diary and then gave it to someone. And I'm just like, hold on a second. Even if I did, is he that stupid to think well, does he think that I'm stupid that I would admit something like that? That's number one. Number two, he made a weird comment. He was like, Hey, do you know when you had it? And I and I didn't, off the top of my head. I mean, I was busy after driving down to Boardman, Ohio, um, trying to get things together for the parade. I wasn't on my game, but I I know that in the summer I was plowing through. I just didn't remember when I actually came, (laughs) came in possession of it. But he asked me like this weird thing. And I was like, what? He was like, did you by any chance, like, give it to Milo Yiannopoulos? And I'm like, what? I've been trying to have dinner with Milo since I was in Miami last um, just to see, you know, how he is. I mean, now he's straight. Thank you very much, Zeus. Now he's straight, you know, and I love him. As a human being, I love the way he talks. He doesn't care. He's thorough. He's transparent. I support him a 100%, right? And I told him, well, actually, no, I tried to get dinner with him. And, you know, then I had to go out to Sarasota and then go to West Palm Beach. So it was like a hot mess and it was really hard. And I really, really wanted to see Laura Loomer, but she was sick when I was there. So that didn't work out either. But anyway, and then I had to go to this building that then collapsed and it was so weird. But anyway, I digress. Um, You know, it was like he was trying to target him and then he was like, you know, Milo's Worker that works for him is under warrant from SDNY. And I'm like, why would he tell me that? And what the hell is going on? And how is Milo involved with the Ashley Biden diary? He doesn't even strike me as someone that would touch it. You know, um, he would just not care. I mean, if someone sent it to him on a PDF, he'd look through it. And, and like I told the New York Times guy, you know, I actually feel really sorry for Ashley Biden. I've, I've mentioned that to you guys before, right? I feel bad for Hunter and Ashley, and and I know a lot of you can't stomach the whole pedophilia thing with Hunter Biden, and and I and I am right there with you. Uh, thank you, Machi. I am right there with you. But oh man, it sounds so weird to say it out loud, considering this hit so close to home. But if you actually read, thank you, Popcorn. If you actually read um, Ashley Biden's diary, she describes being abused by her own father, her own biological father. And then to come to think how Hunter was always trying to be like Bo and Bo was a special one and Hunter was the throwaway and nobody gave a fuck. And, you know, being so close with little kids and, you know, hating his father and all these things. Right. You have to wonder, like, these people were raised as children that had the same ambitions and hopes and potential that you did. And they were raised in a very evil, misconstrued environment. Right. And, and this is, you know, um, this is really important, right? That we should have some compassion because, you know, drug addiction and prostitution, you know, those are all symptoms of, you know, your inside, uh, being sick, right? And, um, You know, like Jack Maxey, he's sitting there fucking talking shit about me and Garrett. Like, come on, Jack, you're a loser. You're sitting there bitching. You know, Miranda, you know, she wrote this book, right, about, thank you, Jay Valeris. She wrote this book about, um, you know, Hunter Biden's laptop. Like, oh, my gosh, right? And um, she didn't even cite things, and it was a little bit whitewashed. I mean, it was all right, but it wasn't perfect. She made a shit ton of money from it, too. And um, Jack Maxey hasn't done anything, but he always talked about hookers and, 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 and drugs. And it's like, dude, why are you focusing on that? Like, Garrett, I, I, you know, you know what I noticed? Okay, so I was actually really pissed. Someone actually communicated with me saying Garrett said that he didn't get the laptop from me. I actually confronted Garrett about that. And you know what he came out and told me, which I find a little bit mm, unbelievable, but it could be because he's like that. Okay, those of you, a lot of people haven't met Garrett. I have. He was in my house for like almost a whole day. Okay, Um, while I was moving from the one side of the apartment to the other because, you know, it flooded where the roof collapsed thing. Um, So anyway, so he was at my house for a whole day because I was priming a Mac that he had so that I can image Hunter Biden's laptop on there. So, um, you know, he is a little bit funny. I mean, the guy stayed in my house all this time. I left him alone, too. I was like, look, I have to go get Phoebe. So. I'm just going to have to trust you in my house. (laughs) And I did. Because why would God make anything bad happen to me? Thank you. Thank you, Grandma. Um, Why would something bad happen to me? Or why would God allow something bad to happen to me by leaving a stranger in my home if it was ill intended, right? So um, so Garrett stayed there and I imaged the computer and it was all there. But then when I confronted him saying, did you just say that? You made me look like totally discredited, like I'm a piece of shit that I lie. You know what he said? He said, well, you know, when I got home, it wasn't all fully built there and I didn't want to bother you and you were sending me that drive and that common friend of ours. Thank you, Benny girl. um, I was in touch with him. So he just rebuilt it for me. I felt really bad because he didn't tell me that all this time and we're exchanging information. I'm like, no, that's bullshit. And he's like, hey, what do you know about this? What do you know about that? And, you know, I didn't know that. But, you know, looking back on it, no matter how pissed I am with Garrett, right? Um, uh, Garrett Ziegler, um, is, is, is pretty amazing, right? He's thorough. He's smart. He's calling these people up and asking them questions. He's being as thorough as possible. And that's what's important when you have evidence like this, that you do a Mueller style report. That you analyze every aspect. Yes, there's the hookers. Yes, there's the drugs. The only time that we should look at that is when there's cartel involvement, you know, where we should, you know, easily talk about that, right? When there's cartel involvement or like when he smuggled people using the cartels, the chihuahua, (laughs) cartels love, you know, with Secret Service, thank you, Freedom, uh, through the southern borders so they can meet the president and his dad. You know, that's a big deal. Um, You know, those are the times that you talk about drugs and hookers. Right. But other than that, it, you know, it's it's not nice to to flaunt someone's pain. And, um, you know, uh, I, you know, I had that conversation with him and I was like, this bullshit, you make me look like an idiot. You're sitting there saying you didn't when I'm telling everyone you did. He's like, yeah, he did. But then when I got home, it didn't function properly and I didn't want to bother you because you spent so much time. You know, he, he was there almost a whole day. He arrived in the morning at 11 and he left like a night. Um, so. I mean, that would be something he would do, but whatever, you know. Um, so, anyway, Jack Maxie, um, was the one that, like, had the laptop. I think he was hanging out with Steve Bannon or Steve Bannon likes him. I, I, I have no idea what goes on there, right? I don't, I don't do bro, bro stuff. Um, but hey, thank you, Smack. He was constantly putting out information about hookers and 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 drugs, and you know, I mean, I've told you about some of the stuff. Like, I didn't publish it. I could have showed you. You know, there's pictures of him counting his his member, his penis with M Ms, and I found that really odd. You know, planking positions, really odd. And those are private moments. Even when I skim through it because I didn't want to, right? Uh, you know, I felt dirty because, you know, you're checking things out. Right. Um, but um, he came out saying things like he's going to testify. Testify to what? You know, we have a shop owner that did one of the most bravest things ever. He turned over a laptop that had evidence of national security issues, the 44th administration enriching themselves, deals going back a decade with other nations and taking advantage of them, right? And that shop owner has been harassed, um, has been targeted, and no one has helped him. Thank you, Mama Ray. And, and that's not fair. I mean, I, I, I've reached out to a friend of mine that has direct communication with him and I'm going to see how we can help him. Um, you know, Fox uh, did like this little bit saying, oh, he should go to red state and open up a, a shop. It's like, wow, what a lame thing to say. So Isaacs is a hero for actually putting it forward. Um, and of to that, I, I agree But, Jack, don't fucking call me a grifter. Don't even. You're like C level, and I'm like Denver times 100. Don't ever, and don't ever talk smack on Garrett. That guy is young, focused, and thorough. And he's actually very respectful. You know, even though, you know, I'm still pissed at him for saying shit like that and not telling me. So on that note, on that note, let's um, let's see how Jen Psaki handled these questions uh, about uh, Hunter Biden.
4: White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki is refusing to say who bought Hunter Biden's recently sold stake in a Chinese firm. This despite critics demanding transparency from the White House, saying the president's son and his business dealings raise huge ethics concerns. Listen to this exchange from yesterday's briefing.
3: Shortly after President Biden's uh, virtual meeting with the Chinese president, uh, her son's attorney said that he has finally divested from a Chinese investment fund controlled by state owned entities. I was hoping you could commit to uh, basic transparency about that transaction, including the name of the buyer, the
4: dollar amount and the timing. The president's son is not an employee of the federal government. So I'd point you to his representatives. Oh, Ari, if this was under a different administration, dare I suggest the answer would have been probably far different. And so too with the media reaction.
8: That is exactly what I was thinking. If this was one of the Trump children, this would be a feeding frenzy in the press because they know it's connected to the president. Uh, And in the case of the Trump children, at least they were actual legitimate business people. Unlike Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden has made a career of cashing in on his last name and having relationships with powerful people, often international, who want access to the president, the vice president and now the president or the perception of access that he was selling. This is a problem throughout this administration. And the biggest issue that frustrates me to no end is how most of the White House press corps could care less. They just Mm -hmm. let it go because it's Joe Biden. And, And this is part of the whole original problem with the way the press covered the Biden campaign from the start and the way they cover him now as president, they just don't think there could possibly be an ethical uh, lapse, a problem caused by Joe Biden's son. They roll their eyes when they hear the word Hunter. Well, it's a legitimate inquiry in the White House ought to answer it.
4: That's right. And, Morgan, you know, dare I say that it's deceptive, almost dishonest to say that because Hunter is not an employee of the federal government, that absolutely means that there's zero question that you can You cannot even, to Ari's point, raise a legitimate inquiry, ask questions, field questions because of that lack of employment when ethics covers everyone.
9: Yeah, I mean, that's just uh, I mean, that's such a joke uh, to say that Uh, it it is President Biden's son. And there have been uh, many news reports that have linked President Biden to some some of Hunter Biden's business dealings. Uh, There isn't conclusive proof. Uh, There's a lot of uh, you know, but there are people that have worked with Hunter that have came forward and said that President Biden uh, uh, at at the time he was the the former vice president, that he met with some of the business partners. So there is legitimate questions about about the connection to the president. Also, on January 20th, when President Biden was sworn in, uh, he promised to be the most transparent administration uh, in history. I I guess that is thrown out the window. And and there's a lot of legitimate questions. You know, it's not all Russian disinformation, as we were told in the campaign. Legitimate questions into, for example, the Chinese company that Hunter Biden is reportedly a part owner of that has um, a mine in the Congo. And there has been reportedly uh, massive human rights abuses and even deaths of the employees of this mine in Congo. So yes, if the president's son uh, is a part owner in a Chinese company that's committing human rights abuses in Africa, I think that's important just to start, not to
4: mention many of the other issues we could go through for the next hour. I think we definitely agree, and not even entertaining those questions, not even allowing a question, I think, also raises that it, it it adds a level of opacity to your point. The other lack of transparency that this administration promised all of us from day one. Kaylee Jensaki was also asked about Hunter's laptop. Take a watch.
8: My colleague Miranda
3: Devine has a new book out called uh, The Laptop from Hell, and I was hoping that you could confirm that the laptop is indeed authentic um, and not Russian disinformation, as you seem to suggest on Twitter last year.
4: As it relates to the book, I have neither neither had the time
9: nor interest in exploring or reading the book.
10: Ooh, but she did have interest in calling the laptop, quote, stolen disinfo in the campaign. Uh, now we know Hunter says the laptop possibly could be his. Well, I'm going to take a wild guess. A laptop with tons of pictures of you and text with your dad probably is your laptop. It's just my guess. Um, but, you know, this is inexcusable to me that she won't answer a question about this because what makes this to me presidential White House territory is you had a candidate Joe Biden who said I will not have my family engaged in business dealings that give a, in a conflict of interest or an appearance of a conflict of interest. Mm. Well when you have a three and a half hour phone conversation with President Xi of China and we don't know if your son has disentangled his involvement in this firm before during after this call there is an intersection here that treads on your campaign promise. So there's some questions that needs to be answered. Jen's referring to Hunter's attorney who's then guess, you know, not answering questions.
4: Right. And the media is supposed to be the watchdog of their government. And when you add in social media platforms that mute outlets like the New York Post for daring to even raise these questions for publishing legitimate fact-finding results of their inquiries, then there's no way for the American public to even ever get their answers or be exposed to the facts.
10: Wow. I don't even know where to start with where we are with. I love her. I I want to believe that there's not complicity there. Mm. I I want to know that she's just brushing it off. They've all decided that, you know, the coverage of this is silly. I subpoenaed her. We'll find out. Maybe they're in that lane or maybe there's something else going on here. Like maybe there's a command and control situation where they're being told that they can't talk about this. Mm. And the person to do that is the man with the title commander in chief. Like, we, we don't know what he knows oh, and what he's he not commander know. in chief. chief. He's not
6: commander in chief. And don't worry, guys, I've also subpoenaed Jen Psaki. I mean, she was at the State Department when we hired all these people, uh, you know, um, thank you, Pookie, uh, where we hired all these people to usher the uh, uh, Ukraine elections. And, you know, what's funny. People keep missing the mark. I was tweeting about it, but obviously my Twitter was purged as to how Joe Biden wasn't going to throw his hat in the race until they had a buffer in Ukraine. And that's exactly what they did. And that's what people don't see, that the lens, Zelensky was placed there to run interference on the Hunter Biden laptop and everything there. And, you know, like I said, there may be a recording from the February Munich cybersecurity conference that Yovanovitch, if I remember correctly, is on that audio where they're saying they're taking care of it, okay? And this is why President Zelensky was elected. President Trump called him. And three days later, online, of course, because COVID, uh, Biden said that he's running for president. Facts matter. Timelines matter. And actual statements like that, impossible recordings that could be still floating around somewhere. That's what's important. Not this BS. Oh, it's rubbish. That's her job. Okay. We can't fault Saki for doing her job of not being able to say, we colluded. He never won the election. I'm here illegitimately. And we were running interference in Ukraine. There is no Ukraine. It's fucking Russia now. Okay. It's been Russia. Okay. Nancy Pelosi deeming St. Patrick's Day, Ukraine Day is the stupidest thing I've ever heard, ever heard. So those are facts, right? Those are facts. But here is where I'm just like, fuck, Kevin just shocked me. So, you know, I stumped for Kevin Kramer. I got a a bit pissed at shit he did when he left Congress and went to Senate. And, you know, it was a really hard thing because while President Trump asked him, so nice, you know so many times he courted him please run from se- for senate they actually killed his son. how can i hear it 17 floors up i can hear the police damn all right so i you know he asked him to go he said something that i'm like oh this is just the nail on the coffin remember how i told you that environmentalists and all this bs about gas and and climate change and all that stuff is to you know collapse The economy, right? Well, he put the most amazing questions together that, you know, really rang amazingly for me. I want you guys to listen to this clip because it's like, I'm going to DM Kevin on Facebook and be like, yo, you know, whatever you did that pissed me off, I'm fine. Because if you hadn't done it, we wouldn't be here today and we wouldn't have seen what, um, you know, uh, we have the corruption, the people. I mean, I already knew, but a lot of people didn't. And the more you said it, they'd be like, you're crazy. It's like, who's crazy now? Take a listen to this. Calling for an investigation by Congress or the
11: Department of Justice into any ties between environmental groups and Russia.
2: Yeah, it comes as he is calling for the U.S. to become more energy sufficient, more energy independent, Mm -hmm. and points out that the Green New Deal, quote, paves the way in markets for Russia— to sell its much dirtier fossil fuels, American fossil energy is so much cleaner and produced with so much higher standards, environmental standards and, and labor standards.
11: Yeah, Joining us now to discuss is Senator from North Dakota and a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, Senator uh, Kevin Kramer. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, let Thank us you. know a little bit more about this, because this also is coming um, ahead of President Biden's meeting uh, scheduled for tomorrow with Xi Jinping.
12: Well, thanks for the opportunity. And you're right. The timing is interesting, although Russia's involvement in spreading disinformation through the uh, the non-government organizations disguised as environmental groups in, in the United States is not a new story. This is something that um, we've known for some time. In fact, in 2018, a House committee uh, found evidence that this was happening. Uh, Senate under Democratic control uh, leadership admitted as much that that russia was spending money in the united states to push us toward the green new deal and at the same time that opens up markets for them to sell their dirtier fuel so that's why i say what's not what's not benefiting of course is the environment because frankly opening up markets for russia to sell its its uh dirty energy while we are not in that market is like taking a bath in a pig pen. It's it's ridiculous. But what's worse, and what's really not so ironic, quite honestly, is that both Russia and the political left in the United States get to promote what they love most, and that is a social economic system. The Green New Deal is, let's face it, has always been much more about a socialist economic agenda than it has been about the environment. So, um, you know, this has been Russian collusion with the political left in the United States for, for several years, quite honestly. And I right. think we, in, in light of this circumstance, it really does, I think, demand some sort of an investigation.
2: So on the one hand you're saying, why don't we, uh, produce the oil here, get it out of right. the ground here, refine right. it here instead right. of getting it from, from Russia. Um, right but is there something they're doing that's illegal that requires an investigation? Because I think a lot of people would be on board. Yeah, let's, let's do it here. Is there something that is illegal that they're doing or is it unethical? What, what's your explanation? on Yeah. That? And
12: so I don't, I don't know the legality or illegality of it, Bob, which is why I think maybe Congress is the right entity to look at this from a policy standpoint, an oversight standpoint to the degree that our government is complicit in some of this. I mean, I think that's worth looking at. Let's face it. You've got John Kerry, who is the the uh, the climate czar, the global climate czar for this administration, running around the world telling countries not to buy American fossil energy, which then forces them into the arms of other fossil energy producers like Russia or others who don't have our, econo- our environmental standards, don't have our labor standards, and certainly don't have our economic best interest in mind. A- and so it's just all absurd, and I think it needs to be fleshed out, quite honestly, because he, while he's doing that, let's face it, even in the light of this Ukraine situation, just earlier this week when he was down at Syrah, uh, the Syrah uh, event down in, in Houston, the annual energy event, he, su- he said out loud, on purpose, don't worry about those, basically don't worry about those 2 million plus Ukrainian refugees. That's nothing compared to the hundreds of millions of, of climate refugees that are going to be the result mm. of, uh, you know, dirty air energy. Well. Again, wow. that's all the more reason for the United States to produce it. Let me give you one statistic that I think is really important, particularly in light of Europe's need for natural gas, especially now that that they're cutting themselves off from Russian natural gas. Natural gas produced by Vladimir Putin's Russia and put in a pipeline and shipped to other European countries through the through its life cycle creates emits 41 percent more greenhouse gas emissions than American natural gas produced, liquefied, and sent on a ship to those same locations. So it it only makes sense if you actually care about the environment, actually care about climate. You're going to want more production from the United States.
11: And then, you know, Europe not cutting that off until 2030. And without secondary sanctions, you have somewhere someone like China who can still buy the dirty oil from Russia. So it really doesn't do any good, our sanctions here. I do want to ask you about something else that you introduced this uh, legislation this resolution to transfer MIGs immediately to Ukraine, the transfer of those MIGs and other air defense systems to Ukraine. Tell us about that.
12: Sure. So here's what it comes down to. At every turn, our president, President Biden, has followed. He's not led. In fact, most of the time when he's done the right things, whether it's Nordstrom, Nord Stream 2 sanctions or you know, uh, air defense systems, um, even anti-tank systems, it's always been late. Uh, and he's either had to be led by the United States Congress itself or political pressure from other countries. And, and one of the things he's been holding back on, of course, is this transfer of, of these MiGs from Poland to Ukraine. Now, whether or not they're, they're the thing they need at the moment, the most efficient thing they need, we can argue that all day long. But we do know this. Vladimir Zelensky wants them. They believe it would help them. And here's why I think right. it's important. Whether or not they're going to have you know dogfights in in the air over the over the skies of Ukraine or or not, we need to deter Vladimir Putin. Not wait for Russia to do something bad and then we'll say okay, then we'll give you these MiGs, or wait until they invade, then we'll sanction Nord Stream too. It's we, right. we should be deterring him with preemptive uh, action, and I think this would send a pretty strong message,
2: or get him thinking about what what is uh, the other side going to do, right?
6: Yeah, well, you know what I was seeing? I was seeing videos of Putin going around and he's making sense. And then it makes you wonder, you know, he's making sense cuz he's speaking truth. And then I'm like, damn, the left is seeing this like, oh my gosh, you guys are all Russian bots anti-American and pro-Russian. <laughs> I just I just can't. Now, I've actually Decided not to text Kevin and say that. Um, I want to say thank you, Viking Gold. Um, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm going to text him and say, well, you know, that's a start for redemption. You know, uh, by bringing that association. Because when people see that this cutting off a of gas is being easier than can you see the movie, you guys? Damn it. I don't like using terms that red stringers do. Therefore, I am going to stay away from that. But can you see the movie? You know? I mean, North Dakota is a lost cause. They've got the Chinese social score implemented. They're the ones that have all the oil. You know, they really fucked over their citizens too. You know, if I was a North Dakotan with property, I would totally challenge those mineral rights things. I'll tell you why. North Dakota was not officially a state until 2012. Legit. Legit. So I was thinking like, you know, what they did was they separated mineral rights to property rights. So basically, if you own property or a farm or a house and it has oil under it, the rights are separate and usually the state owns it. And people can sell you the house, but not the mineral rights. You know, that sucks too. So I would kind of challenge shit like that because they weren't really a state until 2012. And that's because they had that late attorney general that sucked at his job. But, you know, it was done in the 1800s, too, and nobody looked. See, this is where people don't pay attention. I'm just saying that if I was a North Dakotan, I would kind of use that to my advantage and say, you know, I got fucked over by the previous administrations over 100 years. And I, I don't really like this. Uh, I'm just saying. Uh, you know, North Dakota has their QR codes now. They scan your ID to see if you're vaccinated. You know, remember how many times I used to say, I always go with my passport to buy cigarettes when they want to scan. And I never give my ID to scan for cigarettes or a target where you would give your ID and they'd scan. Cause you know, I get all these nice, you know, adult games like call of duty and they want to scan to make sure that you're over 15. And then they tell you, Oh, don't worry. We just take your date of birth. Shut up. So the other data, you just purge it and you can tell from the barcode that you just scanned what the date of birth is. Get out of here. See, they've been collecting your data with stupid shit like that for forever and a day and made a file on you. And you haven't even realized it. North Dakota has already deployed that they just scan your ID right now and they know if you're vaccinated or not. How did that happen? But, you know, <laughs> conspiracy, right? Next generation ID. Thank you, Carly. Is next generation ID. So while we take a break, before we get through the Halderin report, I want to take a break. Um, wait, actually, before we take a break, we should watch this Nancy Pelosi thing where she's literally telling people that Ukraine, who is now Russian Federation, um, you know, is uh, St. Patrick's Day is all about them. I think it's important and imperative that we watch this because this is what a train wreck this administration and this this relic and you know nancy pelosi every single time you see her eyebrows are further into her hairline you know i i think they've actually disappeared a long time ago and she draws that shit now
11: oh saint patrick he drove out the snakes with his prayers but that's not that's not all it takes but the smoke symbolizes an evil that arises and hides in your heart as it breaks And the evil risen from, friends, from the darkness that lives in some men. But in sorrow and fear, that's when saints can appear. To drive out those old snakes once again. And they struggle for us to be free from the psycho in this human family. Ireland's sorrow and pain is now the Ukraine. And St.
6: Patrick's name is now Zelensky. (laughs) That is such an insult to St. Patrick, who was pointing out snakes on St. Patrick's Day. Fitting for today. Fitting for today. Now let's get to a short break and have this musical interlude. Because you know, at the end of the day, no matter what happens, it's God that we have to trust. And we have to trust that he has us every step of the way. And though I feel unworthy every single day. And... Sometimes I'm a little bit scared, too. Um, I just have to refine, you know, look into myself and remember um, how many times things that seemed impossible actually happened. I'll see you guys in just a bit.
0: They separated separate us from, from our our neighbors th- and they call it social distancing. It's actually a bigger plan. It's called social conditioning. They took away our privacy. There's always someone listening. The elections planning riots for the citizens The government has always lied It's history repeating But the problem is the schools dumb you down so you believe them If you try to speak the truth inside a tweet Then they delete it Whole administration Satanists who claim they praising Jesus Every year there's a new name for enemies that we're facing It's Al-Qaeda, then ISIS, and now American patriots Who would have thought those who love the country the most Would be hated on by folks who call America home Both political parties are equally just as evil They've been working for themselves Don't give a damn about the people Black, white Yellow brown humanity needs you, cause united we stand. Divided, they will defeat you. The man on the news says the problem is me. I'm just a small town boy with big American
6: dreams. I almost want to make this like my campaign main song. I'm gonna email um, uh, I'm gonna to email Tom McDonald and ask him if I can actually use this during my campaign. Oh, so before we get into the next segment, which is kind of breaking down uh, the whole, um, you know, Halderman uh, statements there, <laughs> uh, I wanted to kind of, I was peeking through messages on Telegram. People were like, well, why don't you just remove him? Um, I, A lot of people actually told me, why don't you just move, remove Ali Akbar voluntarily, right? So that, you know, you can just go ahead and get the deposition. Done. A lot of people are saying that. Here's why I'm not going to do it. This is the guy that hijacked the Stop the Steal movement. This is the guy that, you know, pushed on with the J6. I will not cut any deals with someone that has a picture of a 12 year old alluding that the cream on his face is ice cream and not something disgusting. I will not allow someone like that to do it. I will hold him accountable and let him be known to all American citizens that the reason that we cannot get into deposition phase with Dominion voting is because the guy that claims that he is about stop the steal is cock blocking it. That's it. That's why I'm not removing him. Because this is where you get called to the carpet. And I rescind my offer of you saying that you're going to apologize and you're going to grovel. Now, fuck that. You know, looking at the comments, I'm like, no, this is why I have to have him there. Because he should wear the appropriate title, the appropriate title. So I urge you, if you want to fix 2020, that you constantly tag him on all social media platforms, telling him, you speak truth and you're so righteous. Why are you so terrified to go in there? You can stand by your statements and do it. Maybe I won't bring Carl Rove's tape. If he wants to, I can make that a deal. That I that at the deposition, I'll be very specific. Hey, Ali Akbar, at the deposition, I will not play the Carl Rove sex tape and watch it with you and ask you questions because it doesn't even pertain to my defamation. Though I cannot confirm or deny that that might end up on the Chan board after everything's over. I mean, it could have been done before. But there are no deals. You either turn up or you own it. And every single person will know that it is your fault that we cannot get dominion to pose. You could sit there and say, she's not going to do anything. Doesn't matter. You're right now blocking it. Blocking it. And that's it. And if thousands of us on a daily basis tag him and a bunch of other people Saying that the reason we can't get into depositions is because Ali Akbar is not responding. You know, I mean, you can all contact his alleged attorney, but you know what sucks? As that alleged attorney filed this email, sent this email to my attorney saying he can't even spell. What a loser. Anyway, he's been his lawyer for a lot of different Lincoln Project things, Vice and Victory and his blogging thing that he got caught for scamming again, like he did for Stop the Steal. It was the same MO. He opens up a foundation in Alabama later. Anyway, so this guy, right? Um after sending that email, you know, obviously we filed it in the court saying, oh, you know, I guess now we've served him and we've forgiven Ali Akbar and we're giving him 21 days because this is his lawyer. The next day, the Capitol Police found him, him, and they joined him as a defendant. So he's got a bit of a problem right now. But the biggest problem is the people. Because I think the most dangerous thing right now is the media. The media are covering up for these people. The influencers are covering up for these people, you know, brand whores. Pay me money and I'll share your shit. Like, who the fuck are you to share my shit? So um, we should just continue. I mean, uh, you know, these are just things that need to happen. We can't get into deposition until Ali Akbar gets in there. And he will be known as the person delaying us getting information on deposing a Dominion voter. And that's the way it works. I think he needs to own that. If you're about to stop the steal, then and you have nothing to be afraid of, right? So, let's just keep posting this again and again. You guys can feel free to call into Alex Jones' show, post on other people's social media, and say, you know, uh, this case is being held up in the deposition phase because Ali Akbar is not complying with the court, you know, he keep playing games. Because now Ali Akbar will be known as the person that is blocking us from exposing the steel. That's the way it is. So I know a lot of you are like, let's do it. But I, I, it's imperative. I mean, this is the only way we can get the Lincoln Project dragged in, too. So... Um, you know, if he's got nothing to hide and he speaks truth and he's so righteous, he should turn up and say, I'm doing it because I want, you know, if if there's an opportunity that we get some clarification on elections, then let's go. I mean, he just truths. Get rid of Dominion voting machines. Really? Well, why aren't you turning up so we can depose them? Um, thank you, Sadie. Thank you. All right. So let's get into this. Um, uh, my gosh, I'm like, uh, uh, uh you know, uh, it's so crazy. I can't get into deposition because of this. This is so crazy. All right, let me open up the file. I'm trying to get it up correctly because we also have to talk about Colorado, which is important. Let me just, oh, come on. You, do you have a little folder, you? My folder's acting up. Um Lincoln Project hold on I filed it somewhere give me a second Newland why am I not seeing this oh, there we go is that it nope it's not <sighs> okay I'm going to have to get that again give me a second I have so much work to do today, you guys. I'm like not looking forward to it because you know, filing a TRO to stop a whole state from printing ballots is pretty, pretty bold. I mean, I have every right to do it, but, um, it's, um, it's also, um, a little bit, you know, scary because I, I've been under attack so much that it, it terrifies me. I'll be straightforward and honest on that one. Um, I am impervious. I know that God protects me, but I still have that, you know, innate fear. Here we go. All right, you guys. So let me share this. All right. So for those of you listening, um, I will read this out. I'm trying to zoom it in for everyone to see. All right. All right. So this is a, uh, this is the 24 page one. Let me just see. Yes. This is the lengthy one. This was signed on the second day of August of 2021. Now I want to explain to you something about, um, the Donna Curling case, because a lot of people don't understand it. A lot of people have put it forward as being something that was a bipartisan thing, uh, you know, to, um, Uh, How did did they say it? Um, To ensure that elections were fair and safe and, you know, all these things they say. I want you guys to understand that this case was opened up in January of 2017. Okay? You heard that, right? January of 2017. Now, what happened in January of 2017? Right? The President of the United States, thank you, Kim, Donald J. Trump was sworn in. So again, this investigation of machines being fraudulent were done by who? Exactly. It's not a nonpartisan or bipartisan lawsuit. The initial suit was filed in 2017. So I'm trying to explain that to you. So that's number one. So they created this lawsuit in 2017 and then Donna curling uh, the, the whole case that was filed with that organization. um, they were trying to find that the machines that were used in president Trump's elections were fraudulent because they knew, but you know, I also knew because I busted up Brennan's closet. You know, I could talk about it now because statute of limitation for destroying alleged, allegedly destroying federal property is five years. So <laughs> Totally clear from that. That's why they got caught. right? So they filed this case in 2017. And why did they file it in Georgia? Let me explain to you. So during the elections of 2016, something miraculous happened. Number one, there was an extraordinary turnout for President Trump. Number two, there were a lot of votes. More votes than people actually dropped. And Hillary Clinton got the majority, they say, right? Of course she would, because the algorithm. Would. But see, the algorithm broke at some point. And what happened was, at that point, they were trying to get into the network, which I'll explain to you how different methods and, and suggested methods of these hacks happened um, from a location in Virginia. That location in Virginia, though, uh, was compromised because, uh, thank you, John, and thank you, Wonderland, was compromised because... <laughs> Someone busted up their wires a couple of days earlier and they were kind of vulnerable because they were using like <laughs> cables. <laughs> and then, you know, if someone was like, was like hedge cutting nearby it's just fucked up, you know, they can't get on the Internet. So what happened is they tried to get in there to adjust the algorithm. So I want you to think of an algorithm. Um, so I want you to envision in your mind the ballot machine. And inside that ballot machine, there's like this little tiny box. In that box is where code goes in of your vote. And then it's like coded and then mixed around with all the other ones. But for some reason, the way the program is, it keeps track of it. And it does it on purpose. So nobody knows if Sally or Joe, you know, put in those votes. And then what happens is it then decrypts it and then decrypts it again and then counts the vote, Trump or Hillary. But here's the funny part there's a program in there that during the decryption phase, it says, if the total ballots are this much, right, if, uh, you know, this is the goal that I want, I want Hillary to win. So if the ballots drop for Trump, you need to give this much to Hillary and this much to Trump, like a little fraction, right? But what happens is a lot of people are turning up for Trump, a lot of people. And suddenly the fractions for Hillary Clinton are surmounting, but they're looking like ballots, full ballots. And it's going a little bit crazy. This is why it looks like she won a lot. So then you have to go in there and adjust the parameters to say, fuck it, don't give her 25%, give her the whole ballot, because we don't have all these ballots to justify it. But they couldn't go in there from Virginia. So they had to go to their backup closet that was in West Brunswick and Georgia. And what happened was in Georgia, you know, the um, the secretary of state came out and said, oh, my gosh, we're being hacked. There's Russians in our election machines. We were totally hacked. And everyone's like, oh, Russia, 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 Russia. And then the next day on CNN, he came out and said, oh, my bad. (laughs) This is so weird. Uh, It wasn't Russia. It was DHS. They were just checking shit out. And it's like. They have no business checking shit out. The fact that someone was in there, regardless of who it was, is a problem, right? And so they admitted that. This is why the case happened in Georgia. No one should be in those election machines. I don't care if you're my DHS, Chinese DHS, Russian, you know, Krakatoan, right? You're not supposed to be in there. So. They filed this suit because they wanted to show that there was collusion, but then they left it dead in the water. Instead, they kept it there and they're like, we're just going to keep it in here and do so then as the elections were going and they were being able to fix them along the way, because we saw the fraud in 2018, we definitely saw it in Kentucky in 2019. That was crazy, right? They were ready for 2020 and this was their backup. They had a Halderman file. Um, they had all these experts say things. Uh, first of all, it was them trying to prove that George's machines were perfect. And they were like, no, they weren't. Trump won and da, da, da. And then suddenly Halderman's like, these losers are talking shit. I'm the expert. Listen to me. Here's my report. They hired him and he filed a report. 25,000 words long. Right? 25,000 words long. And, um, he then rebutted statements of alleged experts too. And so this has been ongoing. And now the Donna Curling case is pretty much boomeranging from what it was supposed to be, right? It's a boomerang right in their face. It was intended to take out President Trump or make it look like he did something. And it's completely boomeranged in their face. And in this report, you see statements like Georgia's election system needs to evolve as well. It talks about critical vulnerabilities in the ballot machines that are described in his report. And it clearly says that, you know, attackers who compromise them can change individual votes and even the winner of a close race without detection. In it, it also cites That these problems about these machines are not just about Georgia. That Louisiana had that problem. Alaska, large parts of Arizona, California, Colorado, Michigan. Also, Illinois, Kansas, Ohio, Missouri, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, and Washington State. Let's just narrow it down to all of them. So, this is actual fact. Election fraud is a real thing. And what Alex Halderman did was he reviewed the expert statements of some guy named Dr. Benjamin Adida for the state and Dr. Gilbert. And cites that these people are not rebutting to the actual critical vulnerabilities of these ballot marking devices, right? Right. And he goes, he has a very detailed report. This is one of the most detailed summaries. This has never seen the light of day until I filed it in my case this morning. Which would make sense as to why, you know, magistrate judge would just jump all over that shit. I filed another motion to compel. Nobody jumped all over anything. He clearly states a 25,000 word document that is a product of 12 weeks of intensive testing of the Dominion equipment provided by Fulton County. I find that Georgia's ballot marking devices contain multiple severe security flaws. Attackers could exploit these flaws to install malicious software, either with a temporary physical access, such as that of voters in the polling place, meaning you can go there as a voter and temporarily access the system by proximity. And I would say this would be done in the form of like a cat card, cat card. uh, For those of you that haven't served, probably don't know what that means, but I want you to picture it as if your chip and pin card, you know, your debit card, it looks like that. And there's scripts on the chip that either you tap, because you know tap pay, that shit reads remotely as you know, because you tap pay, so you get what I'm saying, that can actually deploy scripts like that. So he clearly states that right there and says that, you know, you can, or you can do it remotely from election management systems. Now, having the actual um, uh, patents filed by Dominion Voting Systems, they clearly state that that's a capability that they're ingrained in, right? They haven't gotten rid of that, that they can remotely access all the systems. He explains in detail how such malware, once installed, can alter voters' votes while subverting all the procedural protections practiced by the state, including acceptance testing, hash validation, logic and accuracy testing, external firmware validation, and risk-limiting audits. His report concludes that George's ballot marking devices are not sufficiently secured against technical compromise to withstand vote altering attacks by bad actors who are likely to target future elections in the state, that the ballot marking devices vulnerabilities compromise the auditability of Georgia's paper's ballots, that the ballot marking devices can be compromised to the same extent or more easily than the others that replace them. So when he responded to Dr. Juan Gilbert's declaration. He said, rather than engage with facts in my report, Dr. Gilbert responds largely with vague generalities. He gives no indication that he has ever used an ICX ballot marking device, let alone tested its security. He begins by conceding that any computer can be hacked, but contends that this general statement is largely irrelevant because hand marked people ballot system use computers to scan the ballots. His position is inconsistent with accepted standards for election security and with the facts of the particular voting system used in Georgia. He called him out for being a loser and not speaking in specifics. See, that's the problem. And I found that with my with my lawsuit just to break it down while the attorney general, while the secretary state of Ohio was saying you needed to give me all these papers and you need it's like, no, man, can we stick to the facts? You're talking about specific county shit and what you'd like it to be. What does the law say? It's one sentence, one copy you sent. It's kind of like this. This guy's like, yeah, you know, everything can be hacked, but not this one. And it's like, wait a minute. You can make all these statements, but there's one thing here that we're looking at. This Georgia machine, it's an ICX ballot marking device. Why aren't you addressing that? You see, this is what someone does when they have nothing and they can't rebut, right? They just make allegations, right? And this is what happened in this case. Dr. Gilbert goes on to discuss issues related with voter verification of ballot, marking, of ballot marking device ballots, which I respond to below. Yet he fails to address the potential for attackers to cheat by changing only the QR codes printed by Georgia's ballot marking devices. Voters cannot read QR codes, but they are only part of the ballots that the scanners count. My report details several routes by which malicious hardware or software can manipulate the QR codes and cause the recorded votes to differ from the voters' elections. In principle, a rigorous risk limiting audit would be likely to detect such an attack if the attacker changed enough votes to alter the outcome of the contest being audited. But again, Georgia rules require that such an audit. In only a single statewide contest once every two years. Why do they have a limit on how many odds? You, that's so weird, right? Georgia get cracking. As my report explains, this leaves the vast majority of elections and contests in Georgia vulnerable to QR and other attacks. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? So it goes on for 20 somewhat pages. Um, explaining these concerns and expressing in detail and making statements in contrast to what other people are saying, this is evidence of severe vulnerabilities. Now, the thing that is the problem with these devices is that they can be hacked. Okay, they can be hacked by outside influence, uh, foreign or, or or local people to get in there through other things, to get it done, right? Uh, Through the modem, through the window system that the guy's sitting there checking your ID, they can hop in. It would be completely infeasible to perform this level of analysis on every machine before every election. Must last between an election and the deadline for certification of its results. And after manipulating ballots, malware could remove all traces of its presence from the machine, defeating any possible post-election examination of the device. What my report shows is that vote-stealing malware of type 1 have constructed would not be detected by any of the defenses that the state defendants support to practice. I describe in detail how such malware could defeat QR code authentication, logic and accuracy testing, on-screen hash validation, and external APK validation, as was used by ProVNV after the November election. Dr. Gilbert offers no rebuttal to these findings. He does not dispute them or even address them. See, that's what's funny. Isn't it weird how all of this happens? Let's go into further stuff. According to the plan that the timeline presented in the declaration, he found that the KSU server to be vulnerable, to be in a vulnerable state on August 28th, 2016, nearly two years after the initial announcement of critical vulnerability, which was October 15th, 2014. In other words, the KSU server had an initial announcement of a critical vulnerability in 2014. But two years after that, in August of 2016, it was still found that it was vulnerable. The KSU server image also contains evidence that a second vulnerability, the so-called shell shock flaw, was exploited on December 2nd, 2014. This vulnerability was publicly disclosed more than two months earlier and widely publicized in the media as a critical vulnerability, yet the KSU server remain unpatched. Now, let's get to understand what that means. How do you like hack things, right? How do you get in there and what that is? Now, Shell shock vulnerability still exists today. Uh, for some reason, people can't get out of it. And this is why using different components and different things, different things, part of whatever, um, whatever machine you're using. So if it has like a part for a printer and Bluetooth and all that, those have their own components. I want you to see what the experts are telling you. Here's the first summary. And believe it or not, this report is coming from CNN Business on September 29th, 2014. Keep in mind that the Department of Homeland Security always sends out alerts about shell shock vulnerabilities, which means that people need to have a patch on for every single component.
0: Connected light bulb in your house starts acting up. Components. There's a slight chance that could be a new internet bug at work. Some are calling it shell shock, others are calling it the bash bug. And it could affect smart home devices and much, much more. The bash bug is a new way for hackers to break into the internet connected devices at your house, company, or even government agencies. Then they can steal information or shut down entire networks. The flaw is in a computer program that's been around for more than 20 years called bash and it's used by millions of devices. It's the kind of bug that could stay quiet for months only to blow up later. When we find out that hackers use it to break into an insurance company and steal private information. Or top secret blueprints to a fighter jet. Luckily, only a tiny fraction of devices actually meet all the criteria to be attacked this way. The hack only works if the conditions are just right. For example, a device has to be connected directly to the internet, not through a server or middleman. And it's got to use bash running a particular way. That includes stuff like old weather stations, machines that monitor internet traffic, and some of those old servers covered in cobwebs in some back room of a college campus. Even something as simple as an internet connected office phone or a laptop could be used to hack into your network. But if you're the average person, don't worry about it. Your smartphone is fine. And even if you have smart home appliances, they're probably not totally exposed. Probably.
6: Probably. <laughs> this is how I can get into your house. I, you know, when the election fraud happened, I was showing you how I was absolutely able to see the Kyocera printer at the election facility. My point was if I can see that phone and that printer on the network that the election machines are on, I can get into the election machines. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the reason that I was pointing that out. It's important to understand how that functions. Now, this report is also from 2014.
5: It's called Shellshock. Everyone is having a bit of a out <laughs> about it, and no tech journalist seems to be trying to actually explain it to the public, which isn't surprising because it's not the easiest thing to explain. Here goes. In the beginning was the command line. The command line is a way to give a computer instructions using text instead of clicking or tapping. It's like having a text message conversation with your computer. So I can issue a command to say, move this file here or list what's running on this system or change my password and it'll do it. Of course, it's uh, incredibly literal minded. And while there are some safeguards built in, it is worth remembering that the command for delete absolutely everything, everywhere on this computer, yes, I'm absolutely sure, is only eight characters And It isn't just a call and response thing either. You can write programs with this. You can use variables. So you can say, hey, remember, in future, when I type X, I actually mean this really long and complicated thing that I've put in quotes because I don't want to have to retype it 100 times, okay? And it'll say, yeah, okay. And later on, you can just type X. That is where the bug is. Everything inside those quotes you can see on screen should be treated as simple text. Never, ever, ever as a command. Now that way you can pass it things from the outside world without worrying they might do damage. It'll just be treated as text. But in one of the most popular command line interfaces out there, bash, if you type a certain string of characters into the start of a variable, it trips up and it starts treating it as a command line instruction instead. Okay, that's a bug. But if you have to get someone to type a physical command in, that is not exactly the best exploit in the world. The trouble is, you don't have to get someone to type. Because the command line is also a way for different programs to talk to each other. Unix, the operating system that is the inspiration for what a lot of these modern servers run is based on the idea that, rather than trying to rewrite code all the time, programs should just call other simpler programs. If you need to search through a file for certain words, you don't write the code to do that yourself, it's been done for you. Better, probably, your own program uses the command line quietly in the background and then looks at the output that it gets sent back quietly in the background. Never appears on screen, never with text, but it is handled by the same shell usually bash. You see where we're going? Because of the program that serves you a web page, will use that bash command line sometimes to talk to other smaller programs. Badly written web apps, probably things written in PHP, favorite language of all, will use the command line sometimes. It's really, really bad form, but they will. Embedded systems, things like routers, maybe even small smart home devices, they might just use the bash command line because they trust it to be safe. But if the input from the world things from random web users that they're sending to you if they've been maliciously crafted to include that special string of characters, oh dear, any person out there on the web might suddenly be able to run very dangerous commands on your web server. You have what is known as remote code execution or being owned, probably with a zero because it's the internet. You can almost certainly crash servers with that, you can probably do much worse damage, By the time this video goes out, I'll be very surprised if someone hasn't crafted a clever, self-replicating attack that is happily going around the world copying itself. And the really bad news, that bug has been sitting unnoticed in Bash for about 25 years. There is a hell of a lot of patching to do. So, that's how it works. The lesson for the end user, make sure you keep your computer and any servers you run up to date with patches and security fixes. There's not much you can do about bugs like this, but you can try and keep up to date. And as for those of you writing code that is down near the metal, as they say, code that could actually be affected by stuff like this, well, all I can say is I really hope you are not taking your security advice from some guy on YouTube.
6: (laughs) So that was kind of in a nutshell, a vulnerability. Now let's go to a 2021 December report. So weird, right? wait yeah December 31st I know you know what I'm not going to show that one you guys can look it up you can put shell shock and see it this guy right here shell shock vulnerability explain hack the box shocker um it's a pretty good it's a pretty good breakdown but I want to show this one there it is accent but good
13: we do this attack let us understand what shell shock is <laughs> Shell shock. It's a vulnerability in bash shell which allows the execution of arbitrary commands through environment variable. Let's break it down and understand it in more detail. So what is bash shell? In a Linux architecture, at the top of hardware we have kernel. At the top of kernel we have shell. Through shell the user can interact with the kernel and perform any task by giving command. At the top of shell we have application. Now there are different types of shells like bash, con, c and so on. Bash is the default shell which we find in most of the Linux operating system. We can access the shell by using terminal. This is Ubuntu Linux OS. In here, we can access the shell by using a terminal. This terminal is running bash shell by default. We can check it by giving the following command. Here we can see that it's running bash shell. Next is environment variable. These are the stored data used by programs or a script running in a shell. This shell is an example of environment variable which contains this value. Same way we have other values like home. It contains the current user default home directly. To see the list of all available environment variable, we can use the env command like this. These are the available environment variables. Now we can set our own environment variable by using export command. Like this. Here we have created a variable X with a value 5. We can check it by giving the following demand. We can also see it in the list of all the environment variable. Here we can see that X equal to 5. We can also use env to create a modified environment where we can create temporary environment variable and along with it, execute some command like this. Here we have created a temporary environment variable t with the value 4 and using the bash subshell for executing this command echo the value of t. You can see the value t is printed. The next part we are going to understand the execution of arbitrary command. Now in here, along with this value of t4, if I add some arbitrary command like this, then this will be added to the environment variable, but this command will not execute. We can make it execute if we replace this for with some function. For that we need to understand how the bash use the function. In bash we define the function like this. Here we define a function x which performs this task that is printing hello. We can also write it like this env. Here we define an environment variable as a function. We can replace it like this with a colon. So this is an empty function. It doesn't do anything but here we're defining x as a function. So let us replace this in our equation here we can see that we have replaced four with this empty function now if this bash is vulnerable to shell shock then this bash will compile this function along with it execute this command and we'll see the output hack after that this command will execute it and we see the output hello if it is not vulnerable to shell shock then we'll see only the output of this that is hello so let us check it now we see only hello because this bash is not vulnerable to shell shock the shell vulnerability one LBD exists only for the bash up to version 4.3 now in this metasploitable linux we can see that bash version is 3.2 if we run this statement here you can see this the command echo hack is executed and we got the output hack it means it is vulnerable to shell now let us see the practical to perform it remotely for the lab side, we are using vmware in that we are running kali as a attacker machine and sumo as a target machine this is downloaded from the world hub and the link is given in the description so first let us scan our network and find the target machine in here we can see in the output the target machine is dot is our attacker machine and dot 2 is the default gateway now let us scan for the port here we can see in the output that port 80 is open here we have performed the stealth scan now let us perform the vulnerability scan by using nikto in the output we can see that the target side is vulnerable to shell shock and this url is also given now we can perform the attack on this url Let us see the normal response to that URL. Now here we can see that the output is CGI default. When we make a request to this URL, HTTP request, these headers are sent, host and user agent. These headers are used as environment variable. Now we can replace the value of any of these header with function and the arbitrary command that you want to execute. For the command, we will use the reverse shell. So let us see how we can do that. For changing the header, we use the option H. Here we're changing the value for the user agent. This is the empty function. After this function, in the place of command, we have given the batch reverse shell. In this reverse shell, we have created a socket to the attacker IP on this port 4747. Now let us give the target URL. So this is the target URL. Now before we run this command, we have to start a listener. So we can start a listener by giving the command netcat-lvp and open a port 4747. Now it is listening on this port. So let's start this. Now, if you go back to listener, if you can see that we got the connection, we can check it by giving the command, uname name hyphenate. So you can see that target system is Ubuntu. So that's how Shellshock can be used to create a reverse shell on the target system. That's all for today. See you next time.
6: A lot of you are like, damn, that's way over my head. It's actually quite simple. It finds a place because there's a foundation. Um... I'm going to try to find a good simile for this. Um, broth. No, that's not a good simile. I'm trying to think. <gasps> makeup. Okay, makeup. So, everybody knows that the foundation, okay, primer always goes on makeup, uh, under makeup, right? You put a primer so your makeup sits better, right? I know you guys don't do makeup, but let's just pretend it's like uh, on painting, it's like your undercoat whatever right so the code that he's talking about is like the undercoat to the paint or the um, primer on your face and you know what that undercoat is because everybody has that undercoat whatever you put on a wall or your face you know what the components are right Since you know that, then you can manipulate a way to find out, well, uh, maybe this portion is there and I'll find an opening and then I'll manipulate that. Ah, I don't know if that's a, I'm trying to explain, (laughs) I can't explain it. See, then that means you don't command the subject well enough if you can't explain it plainly. But it is a quite an intricate topic. Base coat. There we go. Base for nails, base coat for your face. So everybody knows it's base coat. You know the cum, you know what it's comprised of and for some reason, <clears throat> you can sit there and wait and find an opening on that base coat because, I don't know, someone didn't put paint on it or it's just there and you expose it. How's that? So that's basically it is how uh, <laughs> this um, this works. And it's pretty simple, pretty simple. Um, and that's like one of the ways that you can get machines hijacked, right? Um, you know, Back in the early two thousands, we I had devices. Um, there were phones that were issued that had Bluetooth, <clears throat> and the reason we were using them in two thousand one, and you know, you guys were still using antennas at that time. These are government issued. We talked about the sequestration of technology. I was actually very comfortable on. <clears throat> Searching and finding, uh, you know, Bluetooth devices that are open, you know, to share documents, to push over information discreetly in a crowd, right? So in early 2000, I used to like hang out on the... Trains either in Madrid, you know, Luxembourg, London, and I would literally scope out phones because people would always have their Bluetooth open because they didn't know what it was for. You know, the ones that would get the fancy phones, right? The, 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 the extra phones. We're talking like 2005, um, 2006, like the really loaded people. And I would literally push images and text messages to them like, ew, your shoes are ugly. And it would go straight to them. I wouldn't know where it would go because unless the device name was there, like it would tell me it was a Nokia 82, whatever, 89 something. Um, Because it was some fancy gold phone. I remember that. And I just was getting under this dude's skin. And I was like, I've just hacked your phone. I didn't. I was just pushing messages on Bluetooth. Uh, but that just shows that your open communication ports. You know, a lot of people, when you pay with Apple Pay, you have your NFC on all the time. That means when you walk down the street, I can actually copy all your credit card information just by walking next to you because it's open and it's vulnerable. Um, uh, your, your debit cards, your credit cards, they can be copied just with someone sitting next to you on a train. Um, technology is easily penetrated um, in respects to the coding. This is why you see a lot of people that carry RFID wallets right? And that's to block any signal to be able to take that information. Remember, you tap your card on the reader now. So if I'm sitting next to you at proximity and I have a device that can pick up that signal, you think I'm not copying it and making a new card if I want to? That's the thing. So um, everything is hackable and that's understood. And for that reason, no matter how honest or ironclad someone might create a program like on a blockchain, right? You still can't trust it when it comes down to your vote. That's the bottom line. We cannot trust our voice to be counted and possibly hijacked by a machine. (coughs) We can't. What we need to do is go back to pen and paper. It's pretty simple. Some things are not supposed to be reinvented like the way we conduct elections. Now, um, I know a few of you are probably going to revisit it and understand the analogy of just getting under the foundation and finding a hole to get in. But before we go today, I wanted to play two clips, two separate topics. The one thing is it was from uh, Project Veritas. In 2005, Rutgers University actually banned Lucky Charms. Uh, due to St. Patrick's Day, I believe, which now is called Ukrainian Day. When there's no Ukraine, it's now part of the uh, you know, Russian Federation, but whatever. Take a listen to this.
5: Basically, they have, have had some unpleasant, uncomfortable experience with some of the dining halls. We wanted to uh, bring them matter to your concern that, uh, you know, that the dining halls here, bunkers, serve uh, lucky charms. You know, we brought a lot of box for you to, to look at here. And uh, there's a... Uh,
7: what appears to be an Irish-American on the front cover, okay. and he he's portrayed as a little, uh, green, uh, cladded gnome, a Huxler, uh, and we think this undermines the importance and severity of, of St. Patrick's Day. Can you tell me that again? You, you think, you feel that he's portrayed as a... Uh, I think he's portrayed as a little, green, uh, cladded gnome, and this is really, as you can see, we're not all short. I mean, but we, we have our differences of height. It's offensive. In China, University has a policy of non-discrimination, uh, which prohibits discrimination on the basis of race uh, and
6: national origin and ancestry. Loved it. I just wanted to show how easy it is to actually use their words against them and do something that you want to or not want to. Oh, I almost slipped. I'm keeping my mouth shut on that. Now off to the next topic. U.S. Marshals. That's something a lot of people don't talk about. The only time people talk about U.S. Marshals if is if they're on a plane, they get arrested, they're escorting someone uh, to extradite them somewhere, and that's it. Take a listen to this. Mr.
3: Chairman, may I suggest that uh, at our next meeting, you invite one of the senior officials from the Department of Justice to come before this committee To explain why the Department of Justice is not defending our U.S. Marshals,
14: Senator. uh, Of course, I want that question answered. Uh, Asking for a hearing before the committee at this point may be premature. There has been a response, I believe. I think, Senator.
3: Well, well, we know, if we send a letter to the
15: Department of Justice, we don't get responses. At
3: least, no, I think he did. I think
14: he's already received it.
15: So I'll say I did get a response uh, after ten days, as. Senator Grassley said it was mostly just a bunch of legal gobbledygook. It gave no answer on the merits about why one U.S. Marshal has already had his representation denied outright, while three are still being strung along. I can say that all the parties involved here have heard about the one is that it's not in the interest of the United States to provide representation. Let me say that I'm not going to take that as a satisfactory answer coming from Vanita Gupta's civil division. Well, Matt, and, and I'll say secondarily, the three who have been strung along. I mean, these incidents happened almost two years ago. It took Merrick Garland's Department of Justice barely three months to find that the officer who shot Ashley Babbitt on January 6 committed no wrongdoing. Why has it taken them almost two years to reach a conclusion in these marshals' cases? After those marshals stood on the front lines, were assaulted with lasers and ball bearings and fireworks and attacks. By left-wing street militias.
3: Well, if I could finish, Mr. Chairman, and I and I I'm, I don't mean to suggest that that uh, Senator Cotton shouldn't have jumped in because I appreciate that answer, but a letter's one thing. Judging the credibility of a of live testimony is quite another. Let me. I would like to reassert my suggestion, Mr. Chairman, that at our next meeting, this is an urgent matter. Uh, that we invite a, a senior representative to the Department of Justice to come explain to us shouldn't take long, uh, why it is declined to represent our U.S. Marshals.
14: I'd like to quote from the letter that was sent to Senator Cotton. I'm looking for the date on that letter. I think it's been within the last week or two. I don't don't see a date on the letter. It was
7: yesterday.
14: Uh, Senator received a response yesterday. Let me read from it so that we understand what we're talking about here. The Department of Justice strongly supports the provision of representation for federal officers acting in the line of duty. The Department has received numerous representation requests in connection with official law enforcement conduct relating to the Portland protest. We are providing direct representation or paying for private counsel for over 70 federal employees in response to these requests. To date, we have denied only a single request for representation arising from these events and three requests remain under review. Now, uh, that is not gobbledygook. That is uh, declared, uh, s- a series of declarative sentences that I think make it clear. Three cases are being evaluated. One, they have denied. And for that, yeah, we're going to hold up the U.S. Marshal for the yeah, number we hold- Yeah, we are.
6: Yeah, we are. Because why aren't the U.S. Marshals being represented like other federal employees? This is how we're going to end it. We're going to find out who they really are.
15: up well, Every department nominee. Well, I can, I, like, can yeah, ju- we I can just, I don't you, care. i don't give glad it, they're representing if, the 70. I care about the four.
14: Don't give a speech about law enforcement in Northern district and any violent crime. If you're holding up the law enforcement officials that are going to be given the responsibility of taking care of that issue. I could share your concerns about wanting to know what they're going to do with the three and why the one was denied. That is a legitimate concern, but to take it out on law enforcement in Illinois for goodness sakes, or other states, Minnesota, does that show respect for law enforcement? Mr. Chairman? Senator Kennedy? Not to put too
3: fine a point on it, but may I suggest that we invite the author of that letter to come to our next Judiciary Committee meeting and explain this situation?
14: The author is Peter Hyen, Acting Assistant Attorney General. I do not know him. I think it is appropriate to ask that he or someone... He represents uh, come before us. I don't think it has to be a formal committee meeting. Let's find out where we stand on the, the four that Senator Cotton has a question on.
3: Well, I was, I would, well, you can, you, you're the chairman. You can, you can decline my request, but this concerns me, and I, I'm, I just found out that one of those U.S. marshals may be in Louisiana, and uh I think it would, would behoove all of us to hear together so we could all ask questions from. Uh, The gentleman whose name I've already forgotten, but- Mr. Hine. Mr. Hine. uh, Justice is right across the street. Just ask him to come on over and let's hear directly.
15: So so I would say that that Peter Hine is not the right person here. He's merely the acting assistant attorney general for legislative affairs. He's just transmitting a substantive decision that's been made, presumably by Vanita Gupta as the associate attorney general, since he oversees the civil division, which represents- Law enforcement officers. Yes, in the law, yes. Lawsuits in the line of duty. Again, the, uh, these officers have been hung out to dry. They have no reason. They've been the one who's been denied has been given no factual reason why he was denied representation. Merely well, yeah. that it was in the interest of the United States. Who
6: yes, because he was attacked by an asset. Oops.
15: I'm, I, I'm not I, I'd, loved, I'd love to I, ask. Her. I don't know who
3: the appropriate person is. So let me amend my suggestion to bring the appropriate person to our next Judiciary Committee meeting to answer these questions.
14: I'm going to pursue this uh, matter. We don't know the circumstances. We don't know if we're dealing with privacy issues, uh, attorney-client privilege issues.
6: asset issues. We don't know.
14: We We have one who's been denied. Yeah. Maybe we can Because it was an asset that hit him. uh, The facts behind that. Maybe we can You know, as an attorney, there are certain... Things that just can't maybe wouldn't be disclosed to the public.
6: I know, right? Because it's an asset.
14: Like. So I don't want to have an open hearing, people under oath, until we've at least taken another step of asking for follow-up on this letter. Three are under review.
6: Remember, still be
14: decided. Soon.
6: Okay, so before they get into it, they're asking to make sure that these marshals that had the shit beat out of them in Portland by these protesters are represented in court. The Justice Department has declined one and three are under review and to others are giving them some private attorneys to just shut them up. It is important that we understand the positions of a marshal. You hear about them all the time on the airplane and that they extradite, et cetera, et cetera. I know this quite well because it was a deputy, U.S. marshal that was caught in the state of North Dakota, violating a child and his the U.S. Marshal of North Dakota resigned. I actually asked for the separation paperwork and it was denied the details as to why he left in the middle of the night on December 31st, 2016. Here are what your marshals do. This is their video of who we are. Oops.
1: The United States Marshal Service. This is who we are. Hello, I'm John Walsh, host and executive producer of TV's America's Most Wanted. and I'm also very proud to say that I'm an honorary U.S. Marshal. The fascinating job of a U.S. Marshal has been the subject of many Hollywood films and television shows throughout the years. The stories they've told and the pictures they've painted truly do reflect the real-life fortitude and integrity of the brave men and women who wear the star. There's a lot more to the U.S. Marshals than what we've seen on the silver screen. This is a behind-the-scenes look at the real U.S. Marshals. Federal Marshals have served our country since 1789, many times in unseen but critical ways. Today,
6: So, um, I want to say something on this. After my hotel was raided when I was in Washington, D.C., um, I was then sent home with private security. When I went back to Washington, D.C., um, you know, accidentally the marshal, as he sat down, I saw his little star. I immediately felt safe. U.S. Marshals do not report to the FBI. They have very specific duties. So for me, I have the utmost respect for U.S. Marshals because they are separate as a system of your state and federal justice. For me, this is my opinion and how I feel. Now, after this video, let's see how you feel.
1: Hey, the U.S. Marshal Service is the enforcement arm of the federal courts and is involved in virtually every federal law enforcement initiative.
9: We hold the oldest law enforcement authority of this country, and that's put us at the forefront of our nation's major events.
6: We have always stayed true to our mission. We have also expanded our mission, and we embrace those challenges.
1: U.S. Marshals are presidentially appointed one for each of the 94 federal judicial districts. Approximately 4,000 deputy U.S. Marshals and criminal investigators form the backbone of the agency. In any given district, state, local, and federal law enforcement officers are deputized to assist with carrying out the missions of the United States Marshals Service.
7: Each of the partnerships we have is not one where the marshals try to claim credit for the case. Every member of the task force feels like uh, they're equal partners. And I think that's one of the great keys to their success.
1: Our primary charge of protecting the federal judiciary is followed closely by a multitude of high priority missions, like capturing violent fugitives and non-compliant sex offenders, selling forfeited assets acquired by criminals through illegal activities, housing and transporting federal prisoners, and operating the witness security program. The history of the U.S. Marshals truly is the definition of legendary. George Washington appointed the first 13 U.S. Marshals in 1789 upon passage of the Judiciary Act. Just like today, the original U.S. Marshals duties were wide in scope. Beyond enforcing the judicial process, Marshals were responsible for conducting the federal census every 10 years. Marshals were also instrumental in rebuilding the nation after the Civil War by protecting federal polls in the South. And of course, the U.S. Marshals played a major role in maintaining peace and order during the establishment of the Old West. Legendary places and names filled the history books during this era. The Marshals were key figures during the civil rights era, enforcing educational integration. During this tumultuous time in our history, the U.S. Marshals once again proved to be our nation's finest asset for maintaining law and order. The mission hasn't changed. We still got the same mission that we did years ago. You know, we're not riding horses anymore, but I think we do a little better than now we did before. I'm very proud to be part of the service. Like their predecessors, the men and women who wear the badge today carry on the honorable tradition of serving a higher cause. They are selfless, dedicated, and unwilling to stop until each case is closed. U.S. Marshal Service positions are earned by those who rise to the top, the elite. Deputy recruits undergo a rigorous 18-week training course at the United States Marshals Service Training Academy in Glencoe, Georgia. Training at the academy consists of criminal case investigations, firearms, driving, defensive tactics, use of force, and much, much more. Graduates leave the academy fully prepared to safely and successfully execute the critical missions and operations of a deputy U.S. Marshal. Since day one, the U.S. Marshals have upheld the responsibility of protecting the federal judicial process. More than 400 courts operate peacefully day in and day out under the Marshals' vigilant watch. Deputy Marshals and their court security officers are present during proceedings and provide protection for federal judges, jurors, court officials, prisoners, and the visiting public. The deputized court security force managed by the marshal's service includes more than 5,200 officers. That's equivalent to a force just larger than the Houston Police Department. In a typical year, the marshals assess, mitigate, and deter more than 1,300 threats and inappropriate communications against the judiciary. The marshal's service is also charged with the protection of the deputy attorney general, Supreme Court justices, and the president's drug czar when they travel outside of Washington, D.C. U.S. Marshals apprehend more federal fugitives than any other law enforcement agency. Our deputies arrest more than 330 fugitives a day, totaling an average of 123,000 fugitives caught in a year. U.S. Marshals are the world's most renowned experts in tracking down those who attempt to run or hide from the law. A major factor for this is the Marshals' unique ability to combine the efforts of federal, state, and local law enforcement to create task forces specially designed to track down these wanted criminals. In conjunction with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which I helped found in 1984, the U.S. Marshals also play a very key role in the investment apprehension of dangerous and non-compliant sex offenders. Analysts at the Marshals National Sex Offender Targeting Center provide in-depth psychological insights into the minds of suspects, helping investigators identify and apprehend on registered and non-compliant sex offenders. One of the best ways to combat major criminal activities is to hit them where it hurts. The U.S. Marshals Asset Forfeiture Program strips criminals of their ill-gotten gains. These assets are managed until their owners are proven guilty. Then upon court order, forfeited assets are sold to compensate victims and supplement funding for law enforcement initiatives and community programs. Currently, the service manages more than 23,000 assets, ranging from real estate, vehicles, and vessels to jewelry, art, and even entire businesses. The agency uses private industry practices to ensure assets are managed and sold in an efficient, cost effective manner. In a typical year, $1.5 billion gets redistributed back to victims of crime and their families. From the time of court-ordered custody to either their acquittal or conviction, every federal prisoner is the responsibility of the U.S. Marshals. The service is responsible for the confinement, care, and transportation of these prisoners to and from court. In a typical year, the Marshals receive and house more than 232,000 federal prisoners and more than 1,800 state and local prisons across the country. This massive undertaking involves providing health care to prisoners and the full coordination and transfer of prisoners throughout the criminal justice system. The U.S. Marshals Service has the unique authority and ability to grant individuals and entire families New identities and the foundations for new lives. WITSEC provides for the safety and health of witnesses whose lives are endangered as a result of testifying against dangerous criminals and their enterprises. 24 hour protection is provided during the trial and is often followed by secure relocation, complete with new identities, housing, and employment assistance. Since the program began in 1971, more than 18,000 witnesses and family members have participated. During this time, not a single participant has been harmed while following the program's guidelines. A true testament to the marshal's competence and commitment to protecting the judicial process. While you might not find first class or exit row seating, JPATS is the only government-operated Regularly scheduled passenger airline in the nation. The U.S. Marshals Justice Prisoner and Alien Transportation System moves prisoners between judicial districts and correctional facilities. As one of the largest transporters of prisoners in the world, JPATS handles almost 600 requests a day. JPATS requires the precise coordination of detailed itineraries to ensure each prisoner arrives at their destination on time. Through a networked fleet of aircraft, buses, and vans, JPATS moves an average of 120,000 prisoners each year. When a national emergency strikes, the marshals turn to their special operations group. Overseen by the Tactical Operations Division, SOG is a specially trained, highly disciplined tactical unit designed to overcome even the worst case scenario. Members of this elite group are on call 24 hours a day, ready to respond to emergencies anywhere in the United States and its territories. SOG is only a part of this diverse division, which includes the Marshall's Communication Center, Canine Program, mobile command centers, and the Office of Strategic Technology. Together, they advanced the overall capabilities of the agency. In 1789, George Washington first appointed marshals with the directive to handle all lawful precepts. And that term holds true today, as the U.S. Marshal Service continues evolving and adding to its extraordinary array of missions. Proud men and women who wear this star continue to write the history of the agency and ultimately help shape and protect our great nation, carrying on in the legacy of justice, integrity, and service. We are the United States Marshals.
6: Well, that was interesting. I'm pretty sure a lot of people didn't know what the Marshals did. Hence, you do understand why it was a really big thing. That the Deputy U.S. Marshal in the state of North Dakota, along with the U.S. Marshal of the state of North Dakota, all went in one blow. They are held to the highest of standards. And I would say the majority of them, you don't even know that they are marshals. I mean, some of us can actually sniff them out on a plane, right? You could tell. Sometimes the cut. But they're getting smarter. I'm introducing you to them because as you heard in history after Civil War, they the they were the ones that helped oversee the law and elections. Now on that note, I'm going to wish you guys a fantastic evening. And I really need to get cracking on getting this um, temporary restraining order filed. I can't even believe I'm saying it. Has that ever happened before? someone actually files a temporary restraining order against a whole state to not print ballots I know there's always a first God bless, good night see you tomorrow
11: I'm gonna fight a all Seven
3: Nation Army couldn't hold me back They're gonna rip it off Taking their time right behind my back And I'm talking to myself at night Because I can't forget